With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Hey guys, uh, it's Chris and Ross here again with another episode of Super Theism. And uh, today we're going to start what we hope to be a series of discussions on the Torah, or basically the Law of Moses, and how it applies to all areas of life, and basically how it how it is uh, um, kind of dictated in the Bible. And so uh, today we're kind of going to focus on the sexual ethics, and the dietary laws, and some issues with the calendar. Mm-hmm. And actually, I'm going to hand it over to Ross, because uh, he prepared for this, and it was his idea, so I'm going to let you, uh, I'm going to hand it over to you, Ross. All righty. All right. So, I uh, first started studying started looking for an answer to the question of just where is uh, the dividing line between what applies to us or what applied to the Israelites in the Old Testament under the law of Moses and how that translates over to, well, the the new covenant or the new Testament, at least the present day. Um, And uh, I first stumbled upon upon the understanding that there were discrepancies um, in the topic of the clean and unclean animal or meat distinction list. Mm-hmm. That was the first one. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. We're going to look at the supposedly supporting passages first and then show you that they don't say what you have most likely been taught that they say, unless uh-huh. maybe you're, you know, you're a, practicing Jew or maybe a Seventh-day Adventist, one of the few rare denominations that actually do believe in keeping them still. All right. So the first verse that you have supposed, you've been told supposedly defends the, the abolishment of the clean and unclean meat distinctions would be Matthew 15. Uh, It's paralleled in Mark 7. And it's, it's the instance where Jesus and the 12 disciples were invited over to uh, one of the, I forget if it's Pharisees or Sadducees, one of the important religious leaders' houses for dinner. Yep. And, uh, and, and he basically tells them after some debate that it's not what goes into the mouth that makes a man unclean, but what comes out of it. And uh, what, what this passage is actually saying is that Christ simply meant that the human digestive system was capable of handling dirt on food, food that was actually considered food, not the... uh, He wasn't saying that the food laws were abrogated. 
Right, he was uh, he was rebu- rebuking the ceremonial washings. Mm-hmm, exactly. The, uh, you know, the religious leaders that they were imposing onto the people, you know, which wasn't actually a law found in exactly. the Torah. Right. It was exactly. Tal- yeah. Tal- search, Tal- search the Old Testament, and you'll see no no requirement in there to wash your hands before a meal. I'm right. sure they did it when they were dirty, exactly. but it wasn't... The, the scribes and whoever else had made it into a moral requirement. Right. And uh, even if Jesus had intended to uh, abrogate the food laws there, well, he didn't. It, it wasn't in his authority to do that, based on right. Deuteronomy 4.2 and 12.32. Mm-hmm. Uh, both of those verses, God said that uh, you are not allowed to add to or take away from the Torah. And uh, even if he did have the authority to, it wasn't in his mission to do that. Matthew 5.17, Jesus tells them, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and well, in that same... Go ahead. It even says here in uh, Matthew 15.19 uh, through 20, I mean, he actually it, it explicitly basically expounds what he meant. It says, For out of the heart come forth wicked designs, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false testimonies, profane speakings. These are the things which defile the man. But the eating with unwashed hands doth not defile the man. He doesn't say eating unclean food. He says eating with unwashed hands. You see that? Yeah. So I mean, yeah, he makes it explicit there what he what he really meant. So, and if you look at the the parallel passage there in in Mark chapter seven, Jesus uses that, and then once he rebukes them for that, for putting the traditions of the elders above the Torah, yeah. he then uses that to launch into a few other issues where they were either adding to or taking away from the law in other areas. So Mark 7, verse 9 uh, goes like this. And he continued, you have a fine way of setting aside the commands of God in order to observe your own traditions. For Moses said, honor your father and mother, and anyone who curses their father and mother is to be put to death. But you guys say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is korban, which means devoted to God, then you no longer let them do anything for their father or mother. Thus you nullify the word of God by your tradition that you have handed down, and you do many things like that. So if you, uh, you're going to start to see as we go through these passages um, that a whole bunch of them are verses taken out of context completely. If you'll, most of these, if you will read the full chapter that they're in, you'll understand what they're actually talking about. Right, and down here in Mark, uh, the same chapter, but verse uh, 15, it says, Nothing is there from without the man entering into him which can defile him, but the things which out of the man come forth are the things that defile the man. Okay, so, you know, an average churchian is going to read this, and they're going to interpret that nothing there as in an absolute sense. Okay, like it it's univocally means nothing just all across the board, okay? But if you're reading this in the context, which we've 
know, expounded upon, if you read it in the actual context, which dictates the meaning, it's, when he says nothing, he, he means nothing of the food, of what God recognizes as food to be eaten. Okay? Mm-hmm. Unclean food was never intended to be eaten. It's not included in that nothing. See that? Yeah. He's saying nothing of the foods that you're supposed to eat, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah, the unclean animals and meats of those animals, to them, they wouldn't even classify that as food. Right. So that when was, they say yeah. food, they're not talking about that. That's the, I mean, if exactly. you look at the, uh, the Torah, God always told them, you are to regard these animals, the unclean ones, as detestable. Abomination, yeah. Exactly. And then at the end of, I'm not sure if it's in both Matthew 15 and Mark 7, but one of those has the parenthetical uh, sentence. Uh, Some variant, you'll see it in different versions. It usually goes like this. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Uh, uh, I see. It's after Mark 7, verse 19. That parenthetical uh, sentence, that's a later commentary that's been added to the manuscripts. Chris, I'm not sure exactly how old it is, which versions have it, which don't, or which manuscripts have it, but whichever way it is, that's not in the original. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's a false interpretation that's been added in there. Mm-hmm. All right, so then the next passage, and this one is usually the first one people point to, to defend the idea that Christians don't need to avoid pork and the, you know, the unclean meats is Acts chapter 10, the story of Peter's vision of the scroll. Right. Now, uh, this is, uh, this is parable, parabolic. Is that the right word? Yeah. Parabolic language. This is symbolic only and dreams and visions almost always are symbolic. Sure. Um, if you if you will read that entire chapter, you'll see that uh, at first Peter didn't even understand it. So at first Peter did not take that to mean that uh, the unclean animals were now, you know, allowed right. to be eaten. Right. Peter was confused by it. You'll see that in verse 17 to 18. And then as he's thinking about it and stuff is happening, the Holy Spirit eventually guides him to the understanding that it meant that he was to stop separating himself from the Gentile, um, I believe, uncircumcised converts. You'll see that in verses 19 through 20 and also 28. Um, And this is the same issue that Paul confronts Peter about in Galatians 2, 11 through 12, when Paul says, and I confronted Peter to his face in front of everybody about this issue. And uh, now, but uh, if you don't believe me, consider the apparent clumsiness of Christ in the popular interpretation of this passage. Um, what, what you have basically been told is that Jesus Christ comes down to earth, tells people, as I said before, I have not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Again, that's Matthew five seventeen. Then he dies, he resurrects, he ascends back to heaven, and then... You know, it's it's almost laughable. It's almost as if it was a casual text message on a phone. He tells only Peter in a vision that, oh, yeah, by the way, Pete, I forgot to mention this while I was down there, but you know all those animals that my dad told you guys were off limits because they're gross? Yeah, never mind. 
green light on the detestable beasts. Okay, thanks, bro. See you later. You know, it, it's, it makes Jesus out to look clumsy, as if he couldn't have just told them, you know? And, yeah. and it's, cra- yeah. it's crazy because Peter says he didn't understand the dream at first, and you'll see that he never takes that as, a, as permission to eat the unclean animals, as we've said. Um, if Jesus really wanted them to know that, he would have told them while he was there on earth. Well, what, but you can see from you can see from this passage that Peter had not uh, had not disregarded those laws even after Jesus had gone sure. back to heaven. I was just going to no say sense. what's 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 funny about this passage is after I kind of woke up, you know, to the whole uh, that the Torah was never abrogated in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. Is uh, I mean. Th- it, it it actually tells you what his vision meant in this passage. And it had nothing to do with the unclean foods being declared clean. I mean, it, it literally interprets his vision for you. And, <laughs> you know, it's like... Mm-hmm. <sighs> it had to do with, you know, Gentiles or, you know, quote-unquote Gentiles uh, being accepted or being declared clean. Yeah. Yeah, basically, I mean, his dream was just a a symbolic parable. The unclean animals in his dream didn't represent the meat of actual unclean animals. It just, it was showing him the way he looked at those foreign people. Right. Which God, you know, told him right there, you need to stop doing. These are my people too now. They're part of this new covenant. Um, all right, so the next passage would be Acts 15, verses 19 through 21. Let me get there. Do, 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 do. Oh, man, you know what? I might have, uh, it might be the wrong passage. Oh, wait, no, it's not. I'm sorry, sorry. Acts 15... 15- 19 through 20. Okay, I got it. I'm sorry. It is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain from food polluted by idols, from sexual immorality, from the meat of strangled animals, and from blood. For the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. That last verse there, verse 21, that's usually, uh, I don't know brushed over. I had never noticed it until I had started studying this myself, but I mean many people I have heard um, take that passage to mean that those were the only four requirements that applied to Gentile believers, but I mean, that can't even be true because it leaves off what? Stealing, greed, gluttony, a whole list of sins, witchcraft, um, everything. Those, Those four yeah. What up? Let's see. Is that Paul talking? Well, the Council of Jerusalem, all those uh, elders there, they were saying that uh, these Gentiles, as they continue to go to the synagogue on the Sabbath, they're going to hear more about the Torah and learn it as they go along. Um, so we shouldn't overwhelm them with a whole list of rules to memorize right away because it's going right. to—it'll be too much for them to remember. Um, but for right. right now, 
he he was just laying those four basic requirements. I guess sure. the cultures they were coming from didn't uh, have those. And maybe they could eat strangled or strangled animals or blood. And, uh, you know, obviously there's going to be some idolatry and sexual immorality. So he's just laying those four basic things to start them off, you know. Mm-hmm. That's all that that passage says. Yeah, that gets into, too, that there are these, the idea that there's these two uh, types of quote-unquote Jews in the uh, New Testament. Uh, you know, Jews that are keeping, following the Torah, and then those who weren't, you know, who are people commonly referred to as the Gentiles, even though that's a problematic term in and of itself, because there's numerous passages in the New Testament where it explicitly says that the Gentiles are of uh, Hebrew descent. Um, they were just Hebrews in the diaspora that had been dispersed amongst the nations, basically part of the ten, tri- the ten lost tribes, quote-unquote lost, you know, that were dispersed at at the Assyrian, or after the Assyrian uh, conquests. But, uh, and they weren't equal either. Uh, You know, it says that the Jews who were following the Torah were, you know, superior. You know, uh, it says, you know, what is their advantage? Much in every way. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know these these Gentiles or these uh, you know dispersed Israelites who had forgotten their identity and forgotten the law. They didn't have the law anymore. Uh, you know they didn't want to overwhelm them all at once. You know with the law because it takes years and years and years to learn the law. You know it's it's something you basically grow up learning it. You know mm-hmm. it just takes. It takes a very long time just to learn all these laws and stuff, you know. So, and I also think uh, a lot of the reason why there's a, there seems like there's these other passages where it seems like the Gentiles weren't weren't uh, commanded to keep the law or to keep all of it. Um, seems like there was two types of uh, two standards held to. Jews who were keeping the Torah and then, you know, the Gentiles who weren't, you know, it says they they would be judged by their conscience. Um, I think a lot of the reason with that is, especially with our belief system, is because uh, basically they knew that this, you know, that Christ was coming in their generation and that this massive cataclysm would happen. So there wasn't this impetus to push the Gentiles to learn the law, you know, and to follow it completely, because everything was going to be destroyed imminently. The whole law was going to be destroyed, and they all knew that, you know? Especially the temple, so, at least yeah. of all. So that's yeah, a, big, that, a big chunk knew. of the Torah that would be impossible to keep, even if you wanted to. Exactly. Yeah, and they knew that was all going to happen. Yeah, they knew the temple was going to be destroyed, you know, that they, they were going to be judged. Um, so I think that's, you know, that explains that. Right. All right, let's see here. The next passage that's often offered in support of the lie, you will hopefully now begin to see that the uh, food laws do not apply to Christians. 
or, or at least that they were abrogated back then, uh-huh. is, uh, let's see, where am I? <laughs> I lost my place. Oh, uh, Romans 14. 14 and uh, verse 14. Therefore, let us, I'm starting at verse 13, actually. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. And here's verse 14. I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But if anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. Uh Now, now, uh, this one... It's very interesting to look at the original Greek because uh, the word here that is translated into English, unclean, is not the same word that is translated as meaning ceremonially unclean in the uh, Torah. Mm -hmm. Uh, Here, the word is koinon or kinon, however you pronounce it. K-O-I-N-O-N is how they transliterate it to English. But uh, this word should would better be translated common um, as opposed to sacred. Uh, this this passage, the topic is not ceremonial uncleanness of certain animals, but uh, the topic of foods being offered to idols. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The uh, the Greek word that would that uh, would be translated ceremonially unclean is akatharton, not koinon. Different word completely. Um, and if you will read that uh, that full chapter there, Romans 14, you yeah, will see that that is, that is, again, the context is food offered to idols. Right. <clears throat> right. So what So what is that verse? What does it mean then? Just to, for our listeners. Uh, that verse um, is Paul telling them not to worry they are allowed to eat food offered to idols right 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 yeah okay Mm -hmm. now uh i'm not sure i haven't studied uh that issue too much from the torah so i don't know if that's in the torah um Uh, to avoid food offered to idols or if that was part of the oral traditions that we have lost or if it was i think it's part of that a a genuine lost tradition Possibly, because yeah. there is some support for that uh, distinction. Uh, I forget the verses, but it is in there in the New Testament somewhere. Sure, yeah. yeah I wouldn't doubt that. All right, so that one's pretty straightforward. Uh, the, the next section, the next passage would be Colossians 2, verse 16. Um, here we go. Therefore... Do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. All right, so as best I can uh, see, this passage is not talking about, you know, people who kept the, uh, the Torah calendar. It's not saying not to let them judge you. This is a rebuke. Yeah, he's a re- he's talking about pagans judging them, right? Right, right. The people whose yeah. culture well, they were coming from, and as they converted into Torah submission, right. Um, he's saying, don't let these people scare you away from keeping this. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I think. 
I don't know if it's that same chapter, but uh, it says, judge each other. I'm not, Chris, do you remember that verse? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. Among among the body of Christ, uh, judge each other or examine yourselves to see if you are, uh, I I shouldn't quote it. It's ringing familiar, it's ringing familiar, but I don't know where, yeah, I don't know where it is. You want me to look it up? Uh, yeah, if you can. Okay. All right, and and then the next passage in uh, supposed defense of ignoring the food distinctions that would be First Timothy chapter four, and this one is more of the same issue. Let's see. Do, 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 do. Give me one second. Okay, let me just start from the beginning. It's a very short chapter. The Spirit clearly says that in later times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits and things taught by demons, or some versions have doctrines of demons. Such teachings come through hypocritical liars whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry and order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. For everything God created is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, because it is consecrated by the word of God in prayer. This right here, that's uh, verses mm, 3 through 5 of First Timothy 4. That one's often also used to defend eating pork and shellfish and etc. Um, let's see here. Uh, this this is not a rebuke of Torah submission, but rather the Gnostic, over ascetic practices that were becoming popular at that time. Proto proto Gnostic. Proto yeah, yeah. Um, let's see. To abstain from certain foods, you know, this is part of what the Gnostic sects, many of them would do. They would they would uh, try to mortify the flesh or weaken the flesh, which they believed was all evil, yep. by uh, fasting harshly and perhaps even starving themselves. I'm not sure how far they took it. Uh, let's see. But, it, but this is not saying that if you just pray over and thank God for the pork, then you're allowed to eat it. Yeah, and then it carried over into the Catholicism, you know, with these monks. Right. You know, this anchoretic, uh, ascetic, oh, yeah. monkish... Yeah. Forbidding them to marry? Yep. Yeah, these, uh, you know, the angelic celibacy and these vows of celibacy. And um, I actually heard that uh, vegetarianism originated with one of these uh, ascetic um, Christian uh, sects as well. I think it was Catholic, but... Really? Um, huh. Yeah, I mean that would make total sense. But actually, the reasoning behind it was because it uh, it reduces the, you know, basically the sexual passions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it's true. Fasting <laughs> does reduce yeah. your sex drive, but I mean, yeah, because they regard sex, that whole thing as evil. All your sex hormones are made out of yeah cholesterol. So. Oh really? Huh. Yeah. I didn't know that. 
Yep. That would explain <laughs> why they want you to avoid all cholesterol. Yep. Man, there's some population control for you. Mm-hmm. Right, just a second. All right, so so uh, you're starting to see that uh, this, you know, all the defenses defenses for eating pork and shellfish and not keeping the Torah meat distinctions are rather hollow. Yeah. The more you look at it. And uh, here's the other thing. Even if none of these verses... Even, or even if all these verses did defend the idea that the meat distinctions were abrogated, there are many prophecies, uh, Old Testament and New, which have yet to come true, have yet to be fulfilled, that say that when, uh, when is- Israel is restored in the future, the Torah, or some, some, uh, some portion of it at least, is going to be reinstored. Uh, if you look at Isaiah 56, uh, Isaiah 66, pretty much a big chunk of Ezekiel, at least from chapter 40 to the end, chapter 48, uh, there are many prophecies that indicate that sometime in the future, Israel will be restored, the lost tribes will come back, and uh, a monarchy will be reinstated, and uh the calendar, the temple, animal sacrifices, and some priesthood, although it'll be different. What is it? What did you tell me it was? It's not going to be Zadokite. Levite headed. Zadokite. Zadokite, right. Yeah. In the future. Let's see. I yeah, it'll be it'll be a, it'll be a different but similar law. There's some indications in Ezekiel that it has differences from the Mosaic law. Well, for one, obviously being the that the different priesthood mm-hmm. but um, you know it's not explicit in terms of what the law is going to be you know exactly yeah that has yet to be revealed it's probably you know this we believe this coming Davidic figure or if he's already here but we believe he's gonna he'll be the one to reveal this law exactly the new Elijah figure who will restore everything. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, well we'll definitely uh, go into that one in more detail. Yeah, but not just yet. Let's see, I I had a verse in Revelation that even talked about that. If I can find it here, give me just a second. Mm-hmm. All right. Anyway, can't find it. Um, but yeah, that's the uh, that's all the verses that I know of um, debunked that supposedly defend eating unclean meat. Mm-hmm. So uh, I start with that section on that because I mean, if somebody's not even to, even willing to give up their bacon and oysters, then uh, <laughs> these next sections are going to really trigger them <laughs> and uh you know it's funny i've i've presented these in various uh facebook groups and online theology discussion and debate forums and very often i will hear replies like well 
you know, God kind of just looks at the heart. So as long as I love him, I don't think he's going to make a big deal about uh, me keeping these laws or not. And uh, to that, the, uh, the reply that I have to present, the question that I have to put to these people is, yes, but what is the definition of love? Because Jesus exactly. said that. That's actually defined. If you love me. Christ defines yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. He says, if you Go love ahead, me, you, you know, obey my commandments. Yeah. Yeah, love yeah, is that's not the defined thing. by God as just uh, emoting happy, jolly, warm, fuzzy right. feelings in God's right. direction. It's submission. It's yeah, just, if just you this love ab- me, just this abstraction you know, that you appeal to. Yeah, no. You, yeah, there was, there you wasn't, will submit there to my standards false, of what pleases. Yeah, there wasn't Go this ahead, artificial distinction or false dichotomy in the Bible that Christians have today between like faith and uh, works. The two were basically inseparable. You couldn't really. I mean, the evidence of your faith was your works. You know, that's why even it was the same way even in the Old Testament. That's why, you know, when Abraham, you know, when when Yahweh called Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, he he did it. You know, he didn't question. He didn't question it. He he was going to do it. And you know, it said he believed, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Well, what was his belief? Well, it was his action. You know, it was his obedience. It was his outward action, actually doing that, you know. That's the thing. I mean, you you can't just just appeal to this abstraction, you know, this whole, oh, I accepted Jesus into my heart, but I can just keep doing all the same things and not change or, you know, not do any good works or, you know, just... You know, that's not that's not biblical. That's it. <laughs> oh, looks like he got muted. Hello. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I'm okay. here. I'm sorry, I accidentally hit the hung up button, but I said at the end of that oh. uh, that I said. Unless you're a libertarian, right? Exactly, yeah. Which all these Christians <laughs> are, yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the problem. They're all anar right. yeah, they're all anarchist and libertarian basically. Mm-hmm. They hate authority and um think they can do whatever they want. Mm-hmm. Think they're individual sovereigns. And many of them, I'm sure, are innocent enough or ignorant enough of that. But if they get, yeah. Past, yeah, you know, we'll we'll get to them. We're coming for you. <laughs> yeah, don't don't get us wrong either. We don't think that uh, you're justified by your works or you're saved by your works. Um, we think that you know you're 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 justified by your faith uh, in Christ. Which, which your faith is actually given to you by God, you know, out of His, uh, mm-hmm. out of His grace and His, His sovereign election, you know, His predestination. So, um, I mean, you're saved. I mean, it's 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 complicated because salvation in the New Testament is described as like a process. You know, first there's initial salvation, you know, or justification, which right. is in faith alone, you know, or 
by grace of God. Yeah. And then there's he makes sanctific- you he makes you able to trust in him. That's not even a work, of course. Yeah, and he has to enable that. He has to. He, the the New Testament explicitly says he's the initiator of all that. You know, there's nothing that you can do on your end to even initiate salvation or even even have faith. It says faith. He gives everyone a measure of faith. You know, your faith is actually a gift that he gives you. He enables you to have faith to begin with. You know? Right. See, we 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 would uh, we would agree with Calvinism. We would be we would affirm you know, reformed Calvinist theology in that respect. But, uh, you know, it it also describes salvation as like a process. You know, like you, you, basically, and that has to do with sanctification. You know, you have to become holy. You know, you have to live a holy life. You have to, uh, you have to repent, you know. You have to you have to do good works. The works are the evidence of your faith. It says without works, you know, your your faith is dead. You can't draw this, you know, sharp uh dichotomy or demarcation or distinction between the two. They're like inter interrelated. So Exactly. Mm-hmm. All righty. All right. So if you made it through that section, the next section is going to be either very interesting to you or even more triggering. (laughs) All right. So now we're going to go and take a look at the sexual taboos. All right. Did you want to read? Hold on. Did you want to read what what the Old Testament actually says about, like, the dietary? I mean, do you want to just read... Uh, the dietary yeah. law itself. Do you have it up? Or uh, hold on, I'll get to it. Let me see. I, I have that thing I posted in our group. That summary. Let me get to that real quick. Now, uh, after saying all this, you may be confused by some of this because you know I don't think they're impossible to keep nowadays. But it's actually very, very difficult, which we believe is part of the uh, the corporate yeah, punishment that yeah. uh, that, that uh, the lost tribes, at least, well, and the yep. Jews, are under. But the whole world is under. You know, even if you're not uh, secretly a descendant of those lost tribes. Um, let me get that list out real quick. Hold on. Well, I was going to say that uh, again. All right, wait. Don't 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 misrepresent or get us get confused by what we're saying. We're still in agreement with our past calls. We don't believe that it's you're required to. We don't even believe that the Torah is basically. Uh, we don't believe you're required to keep it today. Okay. Right. Because, you know, we believe that the Torah, like like it says in the Bible, in the Old Testament, the and in the New Testament, the Torah is a blessing. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it says all throughout the Old and the New Testament that when God punishes his people, he, he takes his blessings away. This includes the law. And this is exactly what happened in the first century. And it's, you know, continued on in this probationary period after that to, in, until this day. Well, I mean, we're just like, we're just like, 
the Israelites in the Old Testament, either when they were in Assyrian or Babylonian captivity, you know, we're, we're, we're in captivity today to this beast system. Our enemies are the head, we're the tail, we're their slaves, they're our captors. Um, God took his law away as punishment. It was a blessing. He took it away as punishment. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we don't believe you're you're required to keep it, but that doesn't mean that it, that doesn't invalidate the law or mean that it's you know mean that you shouldn't try, right? Because it's, <laughs> I mean, it was it was a blessing, and it I mean it's it was given for for our benefit, okay. Mm-hmm. So just to clarify that. Yeah, you reminded me of something. Um, yeah, let me give you the proper, proper biblical attitude that one should have toward the Torah. This is from Deuteronomy chapter four, and uh, let's see, starting at verse five. Let me just read it. This should rewire your your brain towards it. See, I have taught you decrees and laws as the Lord my God commanded me, this is Moses talking to the Israelites, so that you may follow them in the land you are entering to take possession of. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations who will hear about all these decrees and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near to them the way the Lord our God is near to us whenever we pray to him? And what other nation is so great as to have such righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws that I am setting before you today? So you see that uh, the original intention of God here was that as the Israelites kept this, it would, uh, their example and, and, you know, for for the food laws, the health benefits and all the other laws just... Let's, what, what psalm is that, uh, Chris? Psalm 119, where David just gushes over and over in praise of the law? I'm not sure, but I know I think there's numerous psalms like that. I know, but there's one, I think it's Psalm nine, or 119, and oh, it has, yeah. has it broken up into stanzas by each letter of the alphabet? Oh, uh, the Hebrew Ale- alphabet, alphabet uh, 119. Yeah. yeah. Yep. So, uh, you know, this... Yeah, it actually says he meditates in it, on it. Yeah. That, that mm-hmm. was basically how biblical meditation was defined, was like reflecting on, contemplating the law, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a verse in there somewhere. It says, uh, you have shown me wonderful things in your law. You know, like there's yeah. some deep wisdom and very strong benefits to keeping the Torah. Well, I mean, that's the thing, is uh, Christians today, modern-day Christians, they're operating off of, I mean, basically almost like a false epistemology to begin with, because they they have all these false presuppositions that the God of the Bible, I mean, they they pretty much believe he's like the Demiurge, you know, and they think the the law is evil and uh, oppressive, and that, Jesus came and taught a completely new religion and basically preached a whole different God. And I mean, that's, that's totally incompatible with the Bible. You know, that's, uh, I mean, the, the Bible is supposed to be a holistic 
book, you know, from the Old and the New Testaments, the same religion. And you, you'll see this if you actually study it, okay? And, uh, you know, they also have all this libertarian and anarchist programming, which makes them reject or, or you have this negative view of, like, patriarchal authority, you know? So, um, yeah, their their whole their whole foundations need to be re reworked. Um, and it's not even. Oh, hold on, Ross got unmuted again. You there? Sorry, man. Keep going. Okay. I was gonna say it's not even like, you know, I. I I don't want to, like, appeal to a, or commit a pragmatic fallacy either, you know, like appeal to function. It's not even what supposed benefits we can get out of the law, or, I mean, you shouldn't even look at it that way either, because it's right. how you should view it is God is the, he's the ultimate authority, okay? This is, this is, this is our epistemology. He's your, he's our ultimate authority for all knowledge and everything. It's the only way knowledge can even be justified. With, with any kind of, with without vicious circularity, which is what you'll end up with in, unless you presuppose his ultimate standard to begin with and derive all all your propositions, all your, you know, all your deductions out of it. It's the only way you can have, even have a self-justifying coherent system that doesn't just collapse in upon itself into either an infinite regress or just vicious circularity or whatever. But basically the point is that God, he's the ultimate authority, he's the arbiter of all truth, you know, all knowledge, everything, any any meaning at all, objective meaning. You have to appeal to his standard, okay? Mm-hmm. So, I mean, basically what I'm saying is you just need to have a more submissive attitude and just you know, you need to you need to trust his revelation that he's revealed to us and submit to it and just I mean that should be how you're you're operating. You know. And then and then see and then reality should conform with his revelation, with his with his law. I mean, you should the benefits should be secondary, you know, and they should they should there should be benefits, obviously, because it's you know, if we assume that this is, you know, that God is a, that this is God who revealed this law and that, you know, he did it for our benefit, then you, you, reality should conform with that. And it, and it does. It happens to you, you know. There are all these be- practical benefits, you know, that follow. So, but that shouldn't be, that shouldn't be your, your primary, uh, focus or reason for for how you view the law, you know. Yeah. Or for submitting to it or, you know. Yeah, it's a good point. I uh I didn't at all mean to suggest that uh people should do it just for what's in it for them. It it but, should uh, be because God is just he's the ultimate authority and he's the ultimate arbiter of all truth mm-hmm. and you can you can only you can only derive any meaning or any knowledge whatsoever by measuring it against his standard. 
you know, his standard is the only objective standard. Okay? So, that's a problem. Christians today, they, they have this individualist, anarchist mentality where they don't, you know, they don't, they don't, they don't think like that. They think that they're, they think that they're the standard. They think that they define the standard. See that? Exactly. They think that they're the ultimate arbiters of their own reality and their own standard, which they appeal to. Which, like I said, just collapses in vicious circularity and and ar arbitrariness and an infinite regress. So, I mean, it's just completely unsustainable. It's an unsustainable epistemology. It just collapses. So, if you want to have any yeah. coherency or consistency, you just need to assume that God's the authority, ultimate authority, and you derive all truth from him, is revealed... Know, axioms and standard. So, yeah, all right. And, uh, <laughs> that's all right. No, it's good. Um, uh -huh. Should have made this part of the intro at the beginning, but you know, it's Christians, and I don't mean to point fingers at them because I was brought up with this same attitude instilled in me. We're trained now to hate the law, to hate yeah. and be ashamed of, uh, you know, as we're about to see with the, the sexual taboos and the sexual mores, we're taught to be embarrassed and to avoid certain parts of the Bible, especially <laughs> what, uh, what are accused nowadays as being racist or sexist or cruel or harsh or weird or outdated. Yep. And, uh, you know, most Christians, if I can call that attitude Christian, I would, <laughs> I would actually mock it by calling it churchian because it's not biblical. Um, yep. they, uh, they see Jesus as their nice guy, boyfriend, a rose trampled on the ground. Um, who basically came to earth to apologize for his uh, tyrannical, yet senile, crazy, crotchety old uh, grumpy dad, and beg us all to please, yeah. please still be his friend, you know? Yeah, yeah. You know? And he'll never ask us to do anything we're uncomfortable with, or he'll never impose his will on ours, because uh, he's our beta orbiter. And uh, he's our emotional tampon in the sky to yep. make us feel better. If, you know, we go through the church Jesus drive through on Sundays to, uh, you know, get our self-esteem back up, basically. Yeah, he, he came it's, to preach the communism that we've all been trained to believe in. That's, that's what people believe. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I mean, it's like and, no uh, kidding. Basically, Chris, basically, it's a Gnostic attitude. Uh, oh, yeah. It regards God yeah. the Father as the evil demiurge. Absolutely. And yep. Jesus was the one who came and freed us from that evil, oppressive Torah. Yep. All righty. So, uh, next section. Here we go. The uh, sexual taboos and uh, the conspiracy to make us 
stop understanding it. The original uh, sexual morality list. Hold on. Did, did you want to? Did you want to read the, the the food laws then in the Old Testament? Or oh yeah, yeah. Just... Thank you. All right. All right. We're still in the first section. Food. All right. So uh, I figure we might as well read them because most Christians have you know, well they haven't really read the Old Testament, so they might be they might now want clarity on, you know, what we should eat or shouldn't eat or what the dietary laws actually are, what they say, you right. know. All right. Now, so. I don't have the, uh, I don't have the, the references, the, the address of these, uh, laws. So I don't know if you've got them. Okay. Hold on. Yeah. But, uh, let me just give a summary and then if you find it, you can list it so people can look it up. Okay. Don't have to take our word for it. Go read your Bible. All right. So, uh, in addition well, let me just start out with the basic stuff. Um, distinguishing between the clean and unclean animals, these are the uh, these are the checkpoints that God gave them back then to know if an animal is clean or unclean. All right, so for all the land animals, the ones that walk and the ones that crawl, you know, uh, the animal had to have both of these things fully or completely split hooves or some versions say divided hooves, and they have to chew the cud, which means, uh, and, and cows are an example of this, once they've swallowed a, uh, a batch of grass or whatever they're eating, they regurgitate it again back up into their mouth, and they chew it again. That's just the way the digestive system works. Right. Um, and examples in the Bible of animals that have one of these but fail to comply with the other uh, pigs being the yep. most well-known of all. Pigs, uh... Yeah, they, they part the hoof, but they don't chew the cud. Is that it? I thought they had only partially split hooves. Maybe um, Actually, I don't know if they... Do they chew the... Crap, we don't even know. <laughs> yeah, it says, and the That's swine, crazy. because though he parted the hoof and his cloven okay. footed, yet the cud he cheweth not. Okay. Yep. Okay, cool. Uh, the horse or the equine family, you know, donkeys, zebras, horses, uh, mules. You've seen a horse, so if it's a solid circle, there's no splitting on that. I don't know if they chew the cut or not, but, you know, they fail one, they fail both uh, checkpoints. And then another uh, animal that the Bible lists as having one but not the other is the rabbit. The rabbit uh, right. apparently chews the cud, but uh, its hooves, well, it calls them hooves, but, uh, you know, the paw of a rabbit is not completely split down the middle. Like, sure. uh, I don't know, it, it, the hoof that I have the uh, visual memory to remember most clearly would be like a deer hoof. It's two halves of the same hoof. It's like got two sides and a split all the way down the middle. A rabbit has a paw, which is split in the front where the toes are, but uh, the back is solid. Like a dog, I guess. All right. So then... Uh, then the, the creeping animals or the small stuff that would be like, uh, well, I'll just, all right. So the creeping animals, the small things of all the insects and the arachnids, um, there are only one family or one type locust. of bug. Yeah. That would be the locust family, which includes locusts. And that should be differentiated from what is called locusts here in Texas are actually cicadas. 
And sure. uh, cicada, I don't know if you know what those are, Chris, but they look yeah, like we a got giant them. green fly yeah. and they, they make it impossible to go to sleep early in the summer because yeah. they're chirping so loudly. Yep. Like it's, it sounds like screaming. It's so loud sometimes. Yeah. Anyway, but uh, crickets, grasshoppers, and katydids. Basically, it has to have two, two legs for jumping um, ab- above or behind. Different versions have different uh, descriptions, but it has to have two hopping legs in addition to its other legs. The hopper family, basically. And you'll, uh, you'll see that a few people in the Bible did do that. Like John the Baptist was known for eating wild locusts and honey in the wilderness. Right, right. Mm-hmm. I have heard also that uh, the protein concentration in that family of bugs is actually higher by weight than uh, beef. Wow. Yeah. Don't I've, know heard really good, I've, I've heard really good things about them nutritionally, too. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. they've got a good crunch to them anyway, so they're fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there is a a species of giant katydid here in the Texas Hill Country that is locally called green monsters, and uh, uh-huh. they have these big, beautiful wings. Like they can jump and fly like several yards at a time, and uh, they have these giant uh, mouth parts that actually they're big enough and sharp enough that they can draw blood on your head wow. if they bite you. They're actually uh, kind of ugly, kind of scary. But uh, I did get to work at a summer camp a few few years ago, and uh, me and one of the count- counselors, one of my friends, we caught one, and we had a campfire going, and we killed it and roasted it and ate it. Really? It was actually, yeah, yeah, it was actually a bunch of fun. It was a, a male initiation test. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. Strength. That's what it'd have to be for me. I don't. I don't know if I could eat. Man, I think I'd have a. I'd have a hard time. Oh, it. It wasn't without uh, some suppression of our gag reflexes that we forced ourselves to. <laughs> yeah. To do it, but uh, it wasn't that bad. Yeah, roast. roast Actually, would definitely, roasting would definitely help. I don't know if I could do it raw. That'd be. Oh yeah. Well, you shouldn't do it raw. You're not allowed to eat blood. We'll get to that. Oh, true. Yeah, or at least I mean you can't, I mean, you you can't, can't eat really, raw, but you can't eat it with the blood in, so you can't just take a bite out of it while it's still moving. Yeah, you can't really drain. I guess you can't really drain the blood from a yeah from a locust. It'd be hard. Yeah, but you can. It's just not going to show up a lot. Right. You do what you can. All right. Um. And it was interesting for those who have perhaps begun to be discouraged by this. Uh, thing, this conviction that perhaps God doesn't want you to eat shellfish, that uh, that species at least did the anatomy and the taste was like a mild uh, crawdad or, or a, what do you call them, crayfish. Hmm. You, se- you separated the abdomen from the head and, and some of the guts came out attached to either end, just like you would do a lobster shell or a crawdad shell. And it had uh-huh. a, very, a very mild, but nonetheless fishy kind of saltwatery taste. Mm. So, uh, you Cajun food lovers, all may not be lost. <laughs> right. Yeah, and really, I mean, you shouldn't have this aversion anyway when you really think about it because just compare what they eat versus what, you know, like a shellfish or 
or uh, oh, what what else was forbidden of the seafood? I'm drawing a blank now. Yeah, yeah, all mollusks and shellfish and crustaceans are forbidden. Yeah, basically what what they ate. You know, I mean it. There's a reason they're called unclean. <laughs> Exactly. You know. Oh yeah, and and you know that uh, scene from Finding Nemo where the the crabs are, uh, you know, sipping bubbles out of the the sewage pipes that are in that shallow bay. Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's what the that's what those types of uh, animals do. They are bottom feeders. Yep, they're the they garbage sip. garbage trucks. You know. Yeah. <laughs> of the ocean. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Filters, they the filter. Gunk and the poop I mean, on the bottom. Yeah. Exactly. Interestingly, I have heard a an anecdote. Didn't meet the person, but I have no reason to doubt this. Uh, there was a man fishing for, I believe it was mussels, maybe oysters, one of those uh, shellfish, and uh, he had a a healing, but still still red cut on his lower leg on his calf area and uh when they were fishing one day one of the oysters was punctured or something to where it it spilled out its guts and it got onto that cut and uh it was not but a few days later where the uh it had become so infected and necrotic that the man ended up having to have a section of his calf muscle excised from his leg yeah that doesn't surprise me at all yeah Highly toxic, and, and in addition to pathogens and bacteria that they absorb from those foods, you've also got the uh, stuff like heavy metals and uh, industrial oh, sure. toxins that are there yeah. nowadays. So basically, the land animals, the classes that uh, you can't eat anything from, uh, reptiles, actually all reptiles and amphibians are off-limits. All canine and feline species are off limits, and many other carnivores. Mm-hmm. Uh, rodents also are all off limits. So it all makes perfect sense too. So you people who love uh, hamburgers, which come from hamsters, you gotta you gotta stop eating that. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to clarify, for any foreigners who may not understand that hamburgers do not come from hamsters. <laughs> or beef, so that's just yeah. a joke. All right, so uh, now the swimmers, the aquatic animals. Mm-hmm. These are the two checkpoints that that uh, that group of animals have to have to be clean. They have to have both fins, scales, and some, yeah, and scales. Mm-hmm. Uh, some some uh, Bible versions have paired fins. But I think uh, I need to check this, double check it. But that may just be a translation of uh, in Hebrew. There's a form of plural words called the dual form when it's two, a set of two. It may just be a translation of that. I'm, I don't know. Uh, mm, yeah. So, so you, there are a lot of species of fish that have like uh, different. Uh, a different number of set of fins, or they have a dorsal and a ventral fin, which is over the back sure. and over the stomach, down the center. Yeah. I'm not sure where those fall in, but many of those do have paired fins as well. But anyway, uh, scales, 
uh, it doesn't say this in the Bible, but it's inferred that the scales need to be visible to the naked eye because both, I believe, catfish and sharks are off limits. Yeah. Because the Bible says that they don't have scales. Now, we know nowadays that they do have scales, but they're microscopic. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. It, it's as if they didn't have scales. Sure. All right. Now, the flying, all flying creatures, there's no easy tell for these. You kind of just got to memorize which ones are edible and which are off limits to you. Yeah. Um, but here, here's a short list of the clean ones. You've got your chickens, your turkeys. You've got the dove or pigeon family. You've got ducks, geese, um, something called a teal. I don't know if that's like a, a mallard or a, a variant of the ducks. Spelled T-E-A-L, T as in tiger. Um, and then swans, uh, we're pretty sure that they're clean. Uh, the Hebrew word uh, is tin shemet or tom shemet. And uh, for a while, it was, uh, let's see. You know, I'm sorry, that may be a different one. Uh, so for some old uh, translations, um, they translated that as swan in the unclean list. But uh, it has later been uh, hypothesized to mean the water hen, which is something completely different. Yeah, I know, I, I know there's a lot of translation problems with the birds. Yeah. With yeah. Yeah, for, for anyone interested in researching that, uh, that animal further, you'll see it uh, called the Tanshemet or Tin Shemet in Hebrew and the Porfirio in the Greek. Hmm. If you're looking at something from the Septuagint. Um, and then the other clean birds are the guinea fowl, grouse, partridge, peacock, pheasant, prairie chicken, sage hen, uh, the ptarmigan, that's spelled P T A R M I G A N. The quail, the sparrow, and other songbirds. Hmm. Now, that last one, the sparrow and the songbirds, I know that at least the, the swallow family is listed as unclean. So songbird means something different than just birds that sing. You kind of got to... That may be some lost knowledge, but luckily those aren't very popular because they're all small birds anyway. They're Probably right. more than a bite, so that's probably right. not something you'll need to worry about. Yeah, yeah. All right, so in addition to that, that, that covers the list of uh, differentiating between clean and unclean animals, but there are a few more food laws, actually, that are lesser known. Blood is always forbidden to be eaten, even to cook something in, I believe. Yeah, or at least you can't uh, save the blood to boil something in. I mean, obviously, there's going to be minute quantities of blood in all meat and bones, and yeah. that will be boiled away. It's impossible to fully uh, 
Right. There's always going to be a few blood cells there. I mean, it, it defines, I mean, there's passages that clarify more. It basically says when you kill the animal, you're supposed to spill its blood on the ground. Yep. It exactly. just means drain, you're just supposed to drain the animal. You don't have to, it's not saying that you, every drop of blood needs to be removed, you know. Right. And I think a lot of this, yeah, a lot of people get confused with this. I basically think it was a a refutation of basically paganism or pagan practices because if you study paganism, like, for instance, I've heard actually Native American accounts where Native Americans would drink blood oh, yeah. in order to, uh, because they believe that, uh, well, they basically had this you know, oral or folk tradition where they believe that the, the person's spirit uh, is contained in their blood, so if they drank the blood, they could actually, uh, I don't know, take on that person's powers or abilities. Um, I, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I actually think there's truth to this, and I think the Bible, that's actually why the Bible says not to do it, because it says the life is in the blood. Yeah, it's not that's a pagan what, concept, it's a pan-cultural concept. Yeah, I think that's what it's referring to, because uh, we believe in this life force, or the ether, and we believe it's primarily carried through the blood. Exactly. That's its main form of transportation through the body. Yeah, that that might be actually deeper on a on a higher frequency range than ether. That might be spirit. I mean, it says... I think well, some ether, versions we, do say well, that spirit we, is in we, we believe that ether is an extension of spirit. Right. So it's, it's connected. Yeah. There's a connection there. True. It's just it's just a little bit more dense. Just a little bit more dense. Mm-hmm. It's basically, and, uh, the, I, go ahead. It's the first manifestation of matter in the into creation from spirit is the ether. So I mean, it's it's the most subtle, you know, it's the least dense uh, form of matter, basically, between you know, the... from spirit. I've actually seen it that the astral level and the mind level are between spirit and ether, but those may be just, you know, there's there's no firm dividing line. They're all, it's a frequency range of uh, condensations of of, uh, spirit. So, yeah. Sure. Yeah. All right. And then as Chris was mentioning, you were to spill the slaughtered animal's blood on the ground, just pour it out. And then yep. it also says, and then you need to fully cover it. So yep. whatever yep. material you have on hand, you know, sand, dirt, rocks, leaves, yep. you're just not supposed to leave that blood exposed on the ground. Right. Uh, this uh, this may be related to uh, the Genesis account of when Cain slew his brother Abel, and God came to him and said, your brother's blood is crying blood out cries. to me from the ground. Yep. You know? Let's see. Oh yeah, and Chris, uh, tell tell us a little bit about that uh, that theory that you posted in our group a while back about how the unclean animals, if you slaughtered them by slicing the neck as animals were supposed to be slaughtered, their circulatory and nervous system is different than the clean animals, and that they would feel immense pain and struggle as they were slaughtered. Do you remember that? Uh, yeah, I remember the video, but I don't remember. It had to do with, uh, yeah, something about some vein. Like they had one vein as opposed to two, I believe. Mm-hmm. So basically, if you if you sliced 
the neck of these certain animals, basically that the clean animals mentioned in the Bible, I mean, it would basically instantly kill them. Like they wouldn't, they wouldn't feel any pain or it was like instant death. Because they had the one, they had the one central vein as opposed to, they had the one vein as opposed to the two. If I'm remembering right, is that? Yeah. Uh, let's see. Yeah. The pig. The pig is one example. Those two veins, one towards the front of the neck and one towards the back. Right. Before they went up into the brain, they would. Uh, I'm sorry. No. Th- those on the unclean animals, they didn't join. They both separately went up into the brain. Right. Right. So that right, even exactly. if you sliced the front one, the back one was still there, delivering blood and oxygen to the pig's right. brain, keeping it conscious. And yep. causing pain and suffering as it slowly died and bled out and possibly struggled. Yep. You know, it could be dangerous yep. for the uh, the butcher too. Yeah. So, but the clean animals, those veins would join. The back one would come and join the front one, and then that single one would ascend into the brain. Sure. Yeah, I mean, it also has uh, it has to do with on the frequency level, you know, because we believe that everything obviously everything's frequency, reminiscence, mm-hmm. everything's you know. Emotions have energy, their frequency. Thoughts have energy, their frequency. So, you know, I mean, if, obviously, if you kill these clean animals in this way, the prescribed way, just, you know, slicing the neck, um, they're basically going to die, you know, immediately. And, I mean, if you ra- if they were a part of your, you know, if you're a shepherd of a herd and you basically raise these animals all their lives, I mean, they're not going to have any you're not going to be eating any negative frequencies or negative energy patterns or negative emotions. You know, it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be good. You know, there's nothing going to be wrong with it there. Yeah. And you're probably not going to so, get a big dose of adrenaline in the right. meat from, uh, from a scary death, which right. they do believe nowadays can happen, especially the way, yeah. uh, even the clean animals, the factory farmed animals are slaughtered nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. The stress mm. hormones, too, that they release and all that, yeah. Right. Yeah. Let's see. And, and that that proper uh, butchering or slaughtering uh, style in mm-hmm. Hebrew, that's called shechita. Okay. Or, or shechita, mm. if you want to pronounce it like a gringo. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. So, uh that's one substance. There are three substances here, uh, animal substances that I want to cover. First is blood. The next one is fat, and then we'll get into milk. So uh, now this is something that I don't think we can keep right now because we don't that's, have the simple system anymore. That's a tricky one. I've looked into uh-huh. that because uh, there's actually other passages that indicate that it wasn't referring to just all fat in a broad sense. Right. Like it was certain kinds of fat attached to certain organs. Right, like the lobes and stuff that they had to remove for the for mm-hmm. the priests, you know. Was it obviously can't be all fat. That is, again, it's the same thing. It's the same thing with blood. If you're eating any kind of meat, even muscle meat or whatever, it's impossible to remove all the fat. You right. know what I mean? Right. You're always going to be de- eating some form of fat. So this can't be what it means. You know, it has to. There has to be other passages we can refer to to clarify this, or at least give it more clarity. Mm-hmm. You know. So yeah, basically, 
Now, again, we don't have the temple, so we can't comply with this very well, even if we wanted to right now. But uh, there were three seemingly most sacred sacrificial animals whose intra-organ fat, at least, you were not allowed to eat. That was, and actually it says, if you did not bring from these three types of animals, uh, whatever fat type it was from their body, if you did not bring that to the temple to be offered to uh, God as a burnt offering, then it was the death penalty. Yep. And these three animals are the the bovine, ovine, and uh, and goats. So that would be cattle or or cow species, sheep species, and goats. Yep. Now, obviously, like Chris was saying, you couldn't. There's no possible way to remove all fat. So, like marbling, that's intramuscular fat. That uh, that would be okay to eat. Uh, now, uh, now we don't understand it all, so I'm not sure about this, but I'm just putting this uh, question there. Uh, I don't know what uh, fat on the outside of a muscle, like uh, you know what uh, brisket meat is, right? Well, uh, here I just found the passage that clarifies this. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Exodus twenty nine thirteen. it says, You shall take all the fat that covers the entrails and the lobe of the liver and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them and offer them up in smoke on the altar. Oh, okay. You know, that kind of clarifies more what, what fat, well, when it says all fat, what fat is being referred to. You know, hmm. so. Okay, good. I, I hadn't heard that. So I yeah. guess then that the... There's a strip of fat on the outside of brisket meat and uh, other types of meat. Outside, it's not the marbling; it's on the outside. So I guess that's uh, also. Hello. I think Ross may have got muted again. Let me see. Oh, he got dropped. Hopefully, he calls back in. Sorry about that, guys. Ross, call back in. Ross, call back in. Ross, call back in. There he is. Trying to unmute him. It's like not working. Oh, there we go. You there? Hey, man. Yeah, sorry about that. You know what yeah, I is? It's my headphones. They're old and crappy, and they send uh, static. They send what? You cut out there. Uh, they send uh, static signals because I think one of the wires inside is broken. Oh, okay. So you can hear me now? Yeah. Yeah, so you were talking about we were we were talking about that fat passage. You were talking about fat on the brisket last last thing I heard. Right. Yeah, um, that was that was all I was gonna say about it. Oh, that it was what what were you gonna say about it? You got cut off like mid sentence. Oh, that that I believe then that the fat on the outside of the brisket muscle uh-huh. and other cuts like that that have a sheath on the outside of the muscle, I guess that would be fair game for eating. Yeah, okay. Uh uh-huh. just that organ fat then. Right. 
Oh, and uh, forgot to mention something about blood. Um, there is a, I believe it's a protein called myoglobin, and uh, sure. and it has a pink, a naturally pink, reddish color. And most meat, and uh, I believe even organ meats, have it. And it looks like yeah. blood. It looks yeah. exactly like blood because of its color, but uh, it's not blood. And you got to learn to tell the difference. And it's a good yeah. thing because it means that sushi and a lot of raw meat is okay to eat. And if you don't know the difference between that, you'll think it all has blood in it. So. Yeah, basically, I mean, if you're getting meat from like a butcher, basically all the, I mean, it's all going to be drained, you know, according to the biblical uh, prescription, even if they might not be consciously, you know, that's not why they're doing it, you know, but really not going to have to worry about any blood, you know, any violation of this, because it's all going to be that myoglobin, is what you're seeing, you know. Yeah. So. And it's interesting. I have uh, recently started buying some of the really cheap cuts, some of the organ meats and chicken hearts that I have found in the meat section at my store. Uh-huh. Um, you can actually tell the difference. There is a, a dark pinkish maroon color to the the raw meat and the myoglobin, but uh, some of the blood that gets left, like in the, the hepatic duct of the livers or in the uh, the chambers of the hearts, it is darker. It looks like a, a dark, vivid red pudding, almost sure. like a beet. So it, yeah, once blood, you learn blood, that, it's easy to tell apart. Yeah, blood does have a dark color because it, it oxidizes. It's right. actually a lot darker than people think. Especially if it's, you know, not fresh or not immediately, you know. Definitely turns a darker color, almost like brown. Yeah. So uh, now I've brought this stuff up before about the blood in certain theology forums that I mentioned before. And uh, huh. some some people, I think some of the Orthodox Church or, no, maybe not that. But uh, some cultures, like in Eastern Europe or Greece and other places, they have traditional cuisine, uh, traditional dishes like blood sausage or blood pudding. And, uh, you know, I'm not uh, I'm not here to enforce this, but if you're listening to this and you're, you know, you maybe, I don't know, pray to God about it. It might be something yeah. that uh, he would, he doesn't want you to eat. So it's between you and God, though. But. Sure. As, as far as I can tell, that's not something that uh, we're supposed to eat. Sure. Let's see. Okay. And the uh, there's another substance here. Well, uh, I can no. just comment on that real quick. I, I, I'll just say after I've researched this and come into this understanding, um, and I've, I've prayed about it, you know, and been convicted about it. I, I've I've been convicted in the spirit to try to follow these laws as best as I can, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, I he's definitely inclined me in that direction, you know, so I, I would assume that it's the same with you. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like I said, uh, like I said already, uh, at some point in the future, it's likely that these laws are going to be reinstated when yep. Israel is restored, so it's best to get into the practice of submitting to them now Yep. As much as you can. Uh, and if 
for some reason this part of the Torah is not reinstored, then hey, you can go back to eating uh, pork. But I don't think it will be. I think that these yeah, are no. these are important. Well, I mean, you even see. I mean, you even see that there is a distinction between clean and unclean animals even before the Mosaic Law was given. Uh, you see that when with uh, yeah at Noah. Noah, yeah, and the animals he took on the ark. You know, yeah, for took, uh, uh, well, two, they would have they would have they would have the been they would have been both for see people try to say oh it's just for sacrificial purposes well. Well, no, it would have been for food, too, because God told them, you know, after he got off the ark that they could then eat meat, so, I mean, you know? Yeah. So. So they didn't even do the meat thing back then. Most so so I, I think I think the, dis, the distinctions were basically programmed into the creation itself, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, I think that... I think that uh, basically pigs would have been unclean even before the fall. You know, they're unclean by nature. It's like part of their being. You know, yeah, that's it's just exactly how God. Of the earth. Yeah, it's just how God programmed and ordained the creation. You know, yeah, just like how you know the, the hierarchical distinctions between a man and woman were just a part of the creation before the fall. It's the same kind of thing. These distinctions were, were were there. You know, they were present. So. Hey, Chris, um, is my sound quality any uh, different from a minute ago? You sound good. Okay. Uh-huh. I can't, I don't know where the mic is on this set of headphones. So I don't know how you're hearing me, but I guess it's there. <laughs> Yeah, you sound good. Clear. Okay. Okay. Um, uh-huh. You just reminded me of something else. Now, I I haven't found uh, examples for any more than these two animals, but uh, I have read that pigs pigs carry a high amount of their fat intracellularly, or, or intracellular, within the cells. Maybe that's uh, inter, inter, intra, I don't know. Intra, intra, yeah. But intra. anyway... So much more so than many normal, many other kinds of meats that uh, mm-hmm. I have read that if a person eats pork too often and too much, uh, that uh, sometimes the only way for the body to get rid of that fat, which then goes into our cells, inside the cells, instead of being uh, all or mostly outside the cells within our fat cells, mm-hmm. which are usually separate from our normal cells, that uh, the only way the person can detox that excess of fat is for their body to go into a fever, which, of course, can be very dangerous. Hmm. Yeah. And then... Uh, so the fat, long... isn't, the fat like, isn't bioavailable like another... Or, or it gets locked up in places where it's not easily moved around or it can get toxic. Yeah. Let's see. Huh. It's not easily assimilated. Interesting. Yeah, and uh, let's see. Now I don't know if it's all a cell, a cell function difference like this, but I know of one other animal, unclean animal, that has uh, different cells. Camels. Um, camels have. Forget, I forget what exactly it is. It might be a different shape or 
or they have a different type of membrane that makes them store water longer, but it, it's part of the reason they're able to go for so many, what can they do, like months and months without drinking straight water and extracting all that they need from only the desert plants that their diet consists mainly of. Mm -hmm. But uh, there may be a pattern there. I haven't researched it any farther than those two animals. Mm. Just a theory. We should also talk about uh, the tricket, tricking a worm, and uh, oh, pork. Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, pigs are pigs are nasty parasite carriers. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of reasons. Well, <laughs> there's a lot of reasons why they're called unclean that we can uh, that we can observe. Um, well, first of all, you know they're wallowing around in their own fecal matter and basically garbage all day. Um, and they don't, something about their feet, like they can't, there's something up with their feet where they can't, uh, excrete everything that they're walking in. Oh, yeah. You heard about this? Let me, uh, tell you about, do you know about it or should I? Yeah, you go ahead because I'm, uh, it's blurry for me. Pigs have a small duct or gland or opening in the middle, uh, in the middle, either in the middle of the, the split of their hoof which, again, is not completely split. Um, or it might be, I think it's actually a little bit further up, like well, pigs don't have wrists, but up the leg just a little bit from the hook. That's what I thought, and, yeah. Uh, yeah. It, it's connected. I forget where it, it's draining from, but it, it's, a, it's a backup toxin-draining port, basically. And uh, uh -huh. they have to scratch it sometimes because it, the gunk gets hardened and they need to keep that duct open or they can die because they can go toxic from their own diets. Oh, yeah. Yeah, well, because they're digestive. Basically, they they digest their food so quickly. I mean, that that they can't really process or break down you know, all these toxins and stuff that they're taking in. There's these massive quantities of, you know, so it all gets stored directly in their in their fat and in their in their body, you know. Um, yeah. And they don't have you know they don't I don't I, I don't believe they have sweat glands or they don't don't really have any real means of excreting it or or uh, detoxing it at any significant level. So it just you know it just gets stored directly in them. Yeah. In their flesh, in their fat, etc. <clears throat> Yeah, I have read accounts of people who have studied this part of pigs, and they say that in the cases where the pigs can't uh, scratch that thing open to dislodge a uh, a hardened uh, load of sludge, that they'll actually die, and they'll get desperate and crazy. They'll scratch it hard. Like you'll see, uh, they say that you'll see uh, maybe it's just wild pigs that you'll see this because domestic pigs are usually pretty hairless. But sometimes you'll see tufts of fur on the fences, and that's how you know a pig's been scratching there. Huh. Really disgusting, you know? <laughs> yeah, they also carry the, the trick in a worm, which uh, people are under this, uh, basically this misimpression that this stuff gets killed when you cook it. It, it doesn't. Um. <laughs> really? Or, or do you mean that the eggs survive cooking? Yeah, yeah, it survive. You can't you can't kill it by by cooking it. Wow. 
Yeah, I think I, I think it's the only. It might be the only parasite where where that happens. It survives. It's, it's extremely resilient. So, I think it turns into those huge round worms too. I think. Um, yeah, it's real nasty. I thought, I thought the the trichina worm was a uh, was on the pig's skin. Maybe on their skin. You said on their skin. Yeah. I'm reading here. It says it lives inside the small intestine of a host. Oh, uh, hold on. Yeah, maybe, maybe on the on the pork on the pig skin. Yeah. Possibly. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, go by what they say. I'm just remembering tidbits. I may be wrong. But uh, yeah, I'm pigs sure. pigs don't just carry trichina, which can cause what they call trichinosis. Um, yeah. They carry a bunch of parasites, uh, both multicellular and unicellular organisms, and uh, a high uh, incidence of pulmonary uh, pathogens, such as uh, tuberculosis germs, anthrax, and a few others that I, I forget, but I have read it somewhere. Yeah, pigs are disgusting. I I believe yeah. it was in the same uh, essay or short book that I read this from, but uh, one man was mentioning an account that happened during one of the world wars in Europe. There was a farmyard right next to a hospital where they were treating wounded soldiers, and uh, they had thrown out a large load of uh, bloody pussy bandages, and one day the pigs escaped from their corral, got into the dumpster, and devoured those things. I mean, they are literally the, the vacuum cleaners of the earth. You don't want to put their meat into your body. They're just... No. Well, I've also heard animals. that uh, mafia, like, gangsters would, like, actually throw people, like, bodies into, <laughs> into like, pig pens, and they would eat them. I mean... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they just, yeah, they eat everything. Anything. Their own feces, their own extra... Yeah, they eat just everything. I mean, it's just... Yeah. Oh, yeah, you remind me. Yeah, I've in that same book I was mentioning, there was an account or or testimonies of... Sometimes the pigs will even eat their own. But uh, oh, yeah. sometimes yep. they prefer to let whatever meat it is that's fallen into their corral, they like to let it age a few days before. So, I mean, they're just mm-hmm. disgusting, dude. Yeah. All righty. All right. So the next the next uh, animal substance that is regulated is milk. There is one rule in the Torah that says that you are not to cook a young goat, and perhaps it means any animal, any young animal, in its own mother's milk. Mm. So that's the only restriction on that. Milk's good though. I mean, yeah. Well, nowadays milk is pasteurized. Yeah, and there's a uh, there's a tra- I don't know if it's a tradition or what, but a belief that that refers to eating. I think the Jews actually might have this tradition, but it's, it yeah, refers to yeah. eating uh, dairy with meat. And I absolutely do not believe that that's what that means. Yeah, I think that that's yeah, I think that that's completely. I I, I think it refers to a, a again another rebuke of a, of a pagan practice you know that was uh practiced at the time <laughs> yeah. there's even a small explanation given in that verse simply that the practice was cruel 
Right. Right. Yeah. And there's there, there's good reasons for not uh, <laughs> drinking milk while you're eating meat, but yeah, it mean, interferes with interferes with digestion and all that. But uh, I, I definitely you know I don't think that's it's anything prescribed. Right. So. But uh, yeah, I have heard uh, that the Jews who do interpret it to to be more of a broad uh, ban against mixing dairy and uh, meat in the same meal. They won't uh-huh. eat cheeseburgers. They'll eat hamburgers, and they can eat cheese, but not at the same time. So, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But again, we don't believe that that's actually what it means. No, so. no. All right, and then there's one other animal substance. I said that there's three, but there's actually four here I see on my list. Eggs. Um, the only restriction here, uh, there's a verse in there somewhere. It says that if you are traveling and you're on the road and you find a bird's nest on the ground, that you can oh, take yeah. the eggs and you can eat the eggs, but you can't yeah. take the mother also. You right. can let the mother go. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And it says, it's very interesting, it says, so that it may go well with you. So perhaps this is about animal cruelty. It, it sure. certainly could help uh, bird populations. You know, you let, let the mom go, she can get pregnant with a new uh, set of chicks again, but you're not sure. allowed to take both at the same time. Right. right. All right, I think we can move on now to sexual oh, ethics. There's a, there's a few... Let me just skim oh. through them real quick. Okay. All right, so there are a few other rules about clean and unclean foods. Uh-huh. Uh, con- containers. If an unclean oh, right. animal... Yeah. Actually, let's see. I think if any animal fell in and died, or maybe it might just be an unclean animal. Uh, I'm not uh, sure. See. I don't remember on that. I'm, I'm sure that at least if an unclean animal fell into a container... Uh, Then, then the container and all of its contents were then unclean. Better look that um, up, just be sure. Okay, well, I don't... Do you have the chapter open? Because I don't... Okay, let me hold on. Let me look it up. I have to Google it. I don't know where it is. All right, well, while he's doing that, I'm going to mention a smaller subsection. Seeds. Um, if a... If the seeds were dry... So this would be grains or, you know, sunflower seeds or wheat. Um, If they were dry and an unclean animal fell onto them and died, then they were still clean. But if they were wet, if there was any water on the seeds, then they were now unclean and you had to throw them away. You couldn't couldn't eat them anymore. Uh, There's another subsection that I can mention while you're looking. Uh, Dead animals. If an animal died on its own, or was, it's usually uh, worded as torn by another animal. Torn. Well, I guess if it didn't die, then the wounds could heal, like a wild animal attack. Uh, But if it died from either natural death or by animal attack, then you were forbidden to eat them. Yep. Um, But let's see. Yeah, you and the fellow tribesmen of your own ethnicity, a fellow Israelite back then, uh, if there was a resident foreigner, you could donate it to them, 
I'm not sure exactly the definition of these distinctions. Um, but anyway, or a non-resident foreigner, you could sell it to them. But you, you could not eat and you could not sell to one of your own native tribesmen an animal who died in those ways. Uh, let's see, I believe all the, all the unclean animals and even a clean animal who died by one of these uh, causes, which would make it forbidden to you, you were allowed to use their body for any other purpose except the food. So, you know, fat for rosining a bowstring or, you know, maybe tanning, you know, there's a, a million uses for animal tissues besides food. Sure. Well, I found it here. It's Leviticus 11, 24 through 40. All right, go ahead. Uh, these will make you unclean. Whoever touches their carcasses will be unclean until evening, and whoever carries any of their carcasses must wash his clothes and will be unclean until evening. All animals that have hooves but do not have a divided hoof and do not chew the cud are unclean for you. Whoever touches them becomes unclean. All the four-footed animals that walk on their paws are unclean for you. Whoever touches their carcasses will be unclean until evening. And anyone who carries their carcasses must wash his clothes and will be unclean until evening. They are unclean for you. These creatures that swarm on the ground are unclean for you. The weasel, the mouse, any kind of large lizard, the gecko, the monitor lizard, the common lizard, the skink, and the chameleon. Okay, so I'm, I'm reading. I don't know what translation I'm reading, but that'll probably vary amongst translations. These are unclean for you among all the swarming creatures. Whoever touches them when they are dead will be unclean until evening. When any one of them dies and falls on anything, it becomes unclean. Any item of wood, clothing, leather, sackcloth, or any implement used for work. It is to be rinsed with water and will remain unclean until evening. Then it will be clean. If any of them falls in any clay pot, everything in it will become unclean. You must break it. Any edible food coming into contact with that unclean water will become unclean. And any drinkable liquid in any container will become unclean. Anything one of their carcasses falls on will become unclean. If it is an oven or a stove, it must be smashed. It is unclean and will remain unclean for you. A spring or cistern containing water will remain clean, but someone who touches a carcass in it will become unclean. If one of their carcasses falls on any seed that is to be sown, it is clean. But if water has been put on the seed and one of their carcasses falls on it, it is unclean for you. If one of the animals that you use for food dies, anyone who touches its carcass will be unclean until evening. Anyone who eats some of its carcass must wash his clothes and will be unclean until evening. Anyone who carries its carcass must wash his clothes and will be unclean until evening. Okay, so that latter part there dealt with, you know, clean food. And then all the former part obviously dealt with unclean animals. You know, if it touches uh, any of your clothes or... Uh, you know, a cistern or a stove, etc. That was all unclean animals. The most of the restrictions were for on unclean carcasses. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's you the question right. I, I forgot. So yep. basically a summary of that is uh if the container was okay, so if an unclean animal uh I'm sorry, it says it has to die to fall in? Yeah. It has to be a, a, the dead carcass of an unclean animal. Uh, if it fell into a container, then the container and all of its contents would be unclean. Now, yep. there are different substances that the container could be made out of, and the uh, the rules for those substances are different. 
So for cloth, fur, or wood, the, uh, the container would not be ruined. It would just be unclean, and you had to keep it submerged in water until evening. But if it was an earthen vessel, so clay, ceramic, uh, then it was ruined permanently. You just had to go out, smash it to pieces, and you couldn't use it as a cooking vessel anymore. Mm. And the same for a stove or an oven. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, now this is uh, interesting, and I, I don't think we'll know the answer until Israel is restored. And uh, as Jesus said, Elijah comes and restores all things. But uh, there are three modern substance types that are not uh, specified what to do. That is metals, plastics, and glass. Now, I'm inclined to think that glass would fall under the earthenware uh, thing, so it would be permanently ruined. Uh, because glass is made from melted sand, which is obviously a form of earth. But uh, metal metal and plastic, this is my theory, and, you know, I don't know. We're not going to know until all things are restored. Uh, plastic is very toxic, uh, certainly inferior, and you can't cook in it anyway. So, you know, Chris, this sounds likely, doesn't it, that plastics will not be... Yeah, I was going to say plastics probably wouldn't even Around be used. In the future? Right, yeah. I mean, they're they're polluting to make them and yeah. to have them thrown out into nature. It takes forever to break down. Yeah. It's just a toxic yeah. substance, you know? Yeah. Even if they don't have that bisphenol A. Uh, yeah, yeah. They're... In, endocrine disruptor. Yeah. Uh, and metals, I, I forget where I heard this, but... Uh, we, there's a lot of lost knowledge about the esoteric properties of different types of metal, uh, but I read somewhere that uh, in the olden days, they wouldn't uh, have instruments of iron, for example, in their house, or at least they wouldn't use it to construct a house like we do nowadays. Iron was associated with Mars and with warfare, so to bring that into the house or to cook with it, it, it would conflict extreme, with the purpose extreme, of the house, you know? Extreme masculine energy. They usually used uh, feminine uh, energy mm-hmm. generators to either build home. That's why a lot of old homes uh, were rounded. There was a lot of rounded, you know, dome structures or vaults or... Right. Because it generates that uh, yin and energy. The materials, the materials, you know, you, you got stone, yeah. you got clay, mud, thatch. Yep. Yeah, anything uh, from wood, Earth, wood. yeah, so it would be uh, feminine, yeah. But uh, for a building to be, well, first of all, they wouldn't waste the metals on building structure. But, sure. uh, you know, there would be religious and uh, sacred connotations to those metals. To sure, really yeah. To use them for those purposes. So, you yeah. know, if, you've, uh, <laughs> if you feel convicted and whatever to keep these laws as close as you can, then I don't know what to tell you about your your metal pots and pans and stoves. So, you know, don't worry about throwing those out for now, I guess. But uh, watch your clay and ceramic and glass. I don't know. Mm -hmm. It's up to you and it's between you and God. So, all right, now we can move on to the next section. I was going to say, I've actually heard, I heard too on a podcast that uh, I think the Romans, ancient Romans or... Something like that. They used to eat off, like they, the the royalty or the kings, they would eat off of silver. Because it obviously had some esoteric properties and it, and it was, uh, you know, it's antimicrobial as well. 
mm-hmm. anti uh, has antibacterial properties. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, silver and gold, those two top noble metals, those yeah. both have uh, healing properties to them. Yeah, but silver would obviously be another yin. You know, it'd be a yin, yin energy. Oh yeah, feminine, a feminine. Yeah. Yeah. And hey, you you people who know anything about uh, natural health stuff nowadays, you've probably heard of colloidal silver. It's got strong sure. antimicrobial properties. Yep. All right, give me just a second. And uh, Moses actually made the Israelites drink a form of colloidal gold uh, when he crushed the uh, oh the calf that they that Aaron had made for them, and he burned it and then made him drink it. The powder. Really? I remember that part. Yeah. I yeah. It's also a mystery how he actually burned that, considering it was metal. Yeah. Um, not really sure how he did that with just conventional fire, but maybe some evidence of high ancient technology. I I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> At least a solar smelter, or yeah. Anyway, I mean, yeah, it would take a long, take probably several days to melt something like that down to uh, right, whatever. Or maybe it was diatomic, M-state uh, gold powder. Gold gold uh, turns into a white powder when it goes into the diatomic state. That's uh, hmm. two gold atoms hooked together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you go go read about the Ormus O R M U S right. state right. or M state elements. You'll you'll hear more about that. But that that's off topic. Mm-hmm. All righty. All right. So here's the uh, here's where it gets really long. interesting section. Yeah. All right. Sexual taboos. All right. So this is an intro to this section that I have often posted in these uh, theology forums online that I talk to people about this stuff. Uh-huh. Let, me just, let me just read what I have written word for word. I've been doing a personal study on how the Old Testament law carries over into the New Testament. And I was always taught, as I'm sure you all were too, that the only moral requirements that God has for Christians are those found in the New Testament. However, there are a few obvious sins which the New Testament never mentions for good or for bad. Uh, Two examples are using God's name in vain and bestiality. And clearly, no one in their right mind is going to argue that these are are permissible. And uh, so when I point this out to my fellow Christians, searching for an explanation, they will be forced to admit that, well, all right, clearly the sexual taboos and the moral laws still apply as opposed to the civil and ceremonial laws. And I'll get to that, uh, that distinction, make a comment about that in a minute, Chris. Um, but that forces me to then ask them, so then, well, why don't we abstain from sex with a wife who is on her period? That's sandwiched right in between all the, the incest prohibitions and the, the adultery, child sacrifice to Molech, sodomy, and bestiality prohibitions, um, which are all listed in Leviticus chapter 18. Um, And also, I am struggling to find biblical justification for the complete ban on polygamy. Or I should clarify and say, 
polygyny, that's uh, P-O-L-Y-G-Y-N-Y, which is uh, man-centered polygamy, where a man has multiple wives to differentiate from polyandry, which would be the practice of a woman taking multiple husbands. Um, Now, I know that uh, 1 Timothy 3.2 and Titus 1.6 mandate monogamy, but they're only addressed to men who are applying for a church overseer slash deacon slash elder, you know, the different translations of the Greek word episkopon. For, uh, you know, it's for men who are applying to that type of job. Um, that's it. That's all I can find in the New Testament that mandates monogamy. It's only for men seeking such a position. Hey, Chris? Yeah, I'm here. Sorry. I was, uh... Okay. Good. Uh-huh. <laughs> I was just, I was letting you talk. Okay, yeah. Just I, hear I didn't hear any feedback, so... Okay. Not not from you. I meant uh, I couldn't hear any echo. So. Right, right. All right. So uh, then I went searching in the Old Testament. I, I searched the whole Bible for some explanation on why poly- polygyny, I'll call it, is now considered taboo in modern Christianity. And uh, I did find some restrictions, some regulations, but uh, as I hope to show you, it's nowhere completely banned. All right, but the restrictions I found are these. There's Leviticus 18, verse 17, where it says that a man could not marry a woman and the woman's daughter or her granddaughter. Um, you know, if you, if you want to, <laughs> maybe some of the women back then were attractive enough and but also had an attractive daughter or granddaughter, you had to pick one. You couldn't pick any uh, combination of those. You couldn't be married to them at the same time. And actually, that's very interesting because I believe that that's only one of two or three crimes in the Torah for which the punishment was being burned to death as opposed to stoning or just simply being kicked out of Israel. Mm -hmm. All right, and then the next one is the next verse, Leviticus 18.18. You were not allowed to marry one of your wife's sisters uh, while your wife was still living. Right. Uh, at least not. Now, here's here's the thing. I'm not sure if it meant absolutely or if it simply meant, uh, it says, it, the wording is, you shall not take, take to wife uh, your sister-in-law mm-hmm. uh, while your wife is still living in order to vex her. So I don't know if that simply meant that you weren't allowed to take that uh, your wife's sister as a wife to piss your wife off you know, for competition, mm-hmm. uh, or if it meant absolutely. Uh, okay. Now, now those two laws, uh, they make sense because, well, I'll get to that in a minute. Um, and then the, the other verse, now this one's often cited out of context. This is Deuteronomy 17, 16 through 17, uh, which summarized, said that, a king must not multiply wives to himself. Um, but the context indicates that this meant excessively because it also lists uh, wives among horses or chariots and gold and silver as something not to stockpile up and hog all to yourself excessively. Um, and uh, 
interestingly, King Solomon is the only only man in the Bible who is expressly alluded to as having gone overboard here with his 700 wives and 300 concubines. Uh, basically, the dude seems to have had warehouses and warehouses full of women. Uh, you can look yep. at at uh, 1 Kings 10, 14 through 11, 13 for this. And it's interesting because in describing his uh, excesses and how it led him to sin, it parallels those same three categories of items, women, gold and silver, and horses. It mentions that he had, uh, he did multiply these things to himself. Um, so people always miss the context again. And, uh, and a, lot of so, it was, a lot of it was sorry, for uh, political reasons to, you know, to expand his empire. He'd marry, right. you know, he'd marry in all these families. And that was really the, the main problem. I mean, you know, I, I don't even know if it was so much of the number of women, but it was the fact that they, most of them were foreign women. That was the problem. Right. right. I was you about know, to so. mention that. Yeah. It's interesting yeah. because that, that, uh, that prohibition for the kings, there is no punishment listed for a king who goes overboard. It was kind of uh, exactly. just a warning. Yeah. Don't do this. Yeah. And, uh, it was so, like advice, yeah. So it could be a sin if if uh, the king violated, you know, if he hogged so much wealth and, and brides to himself that uh, it, it left deficits for his countrymen. We'll get into that more when we do uh, an episode about the Torah socioeconomics. National Socialism, um, but uh, again, there's no punishment prescribed for such a king who goes overboard. But what Solomon was ultimately rebuked for, and what his sin actually was in this case, was that he had married foreign wives of the nations that were forbidden to yeah. the Israelites to take uh, wives from, which were the Canaanites the Ammonites, the uh, Moabites, and I think the Egyptians too. And, and not even that. What happened was uh, King Solomon got henpecked into idolatry by these foreign wives of his. And, he's, and it says he set up uh, altars and shrines to, you know, Molech and Baal yep. and whoever else it was that they worshipped. Mm-hmm. So, uh, let's see. So basically, my point is that Christians say that they believe in the moral law, but for all I can see, they don't even follow all of those. So I am left, you know, when I started doing this study, I was really left wondering, where exactly is the dividing line between what still applies to us and what doesn't? Because the more you study it, the more you see that this, uh, this they call it the tripartite distinction of the categories of the law, uh, which again are moral, civil, and ceremonial. The more you look yeah. into it, the more you see that it's an artificial distinction. The Bible yeah. itself yeah. does not uh, clearly no. di- clearly divide them. It's very arbitrary. Yep. And uh, here's a few more. We're gonna we're gonna go into talking about uh, polygyny and polygamy here. First of all, I should I should uh, mention why I believe that the Bible says that uh, polygyny, as opposed to polyandry, is allowed. Uh, 
uh, again, polygyny being a man with multiple wives, polyandry being a woman with multiple husbands. The first would be allowed, the second would not. And that is because, uh, very simply, men and women are not equal. Right. Uh, they're not, not equal physically. Everyone can see that. But they're also not equal in authority, in a family structure. Oh. Uh, you know, the husband is the head of the wife, not the other way around. And they're not equal right. partners. So if you have heard that, uh, I'm sure you've heard it, that feminism is so ingrained into modern churches nowadays that people are don't even understand this. But that whole servant leadership, mutual submission doctrine, that is a twisting of the words of Paul's writings on the subject. Yep. It, it's a false doctrine. But basically, yep. uh, a woman was the sole, the private property of her husband. Yep. yep. But uh, not the other way around. Again, that's going right. to ruffle some feathers, I know, but that is the... Yeah, uh, that's... Well, that gets into uh, indicated. how the Bible actually defined adultery. Well, why adultery was wrong is because you were basically stealing your uh, your brother's uh, property, yeah, which was his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's also, you know, that gets into the, what Jesus really meant in the New Testament. We see a lot of Christians misinterpret this, too, because they take it completely out of its... Hebraic and Old Testament context, because it's again he's operating off the same religion as the Old Testament, not this Gnostic structure which they impose or assume. But uh, you know, when he said, if you look after a woman and, and lust, or if you lust after a woman in your heart, then you committed adultery. Okay, he's not saying if you have sexual desires for any woman out there, you're committing adultery. That's not what he's saying. That's how Christians interpret it today. <laughs> he's not he's not saying if you're a man and you have natural masculine inclinations then you're <laughs> you're sinning, you know? Yeah. He's not demonizing you for being a man. This is modern Christianity is just so demoralizing to to masculinity and men. It's just it's really quite disgusting. I mean, let's just admit it, you know. Yeah. It's matriarchal for sure. Um but what he's what he's saying there is if if you're lusting after your neighbor's wife, then you're committing adultery. Okay. Yeah, basically it's uh, sexual because it's, covet, it's your covetousness. Yeah, because you're coveting your neighbor's property, which is his wife. You weren't supposed to envy or lust after your neighbor's property. Okay, that's in the Old Testament. So that's that's the context for what he's you know. That's the interpretation for what he's actually talking about there. Because obviously it can't mean what Christians think it means because you have to lust after a woman to to marry her. It's impossible not to. You have to lust after a woman just to get into a a sexual relationship with her. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's it's impossible. How are you even going to get an erection if you're not? physically attracted to you, don't want to have sex with him. Exactly. There's no way that that interpretation is correct. You know, it's just, it's, it reduces to the absurd, you know? So, it can't be, it can't be what they think it means. So, go on. Oh, I was going to, hold on, I was going to make another comment. So, a reason uh, polygamy, you know, kind of, well, polygamy, or what? what is it? The men have multiple wives? What's that distinction? What's that uh, called again? Polygyny. 
Okay, so a reason a polygyny would be allowed as opposed to the, what's the other one with women? Polyandry. As opposed to polyandry was because, you got to also understand, this was in the context of an, of an agrarian culture and society. Okay, so basically th- these men, like, you know, they, they, they got their, their land, which was passed through by inheritance, you know, from, from father to son and, and families. Um, they basically own, like, a plantation. I mean, that was pretty much the structure, you know. Was, they basically operated this, this pretty sizable plantation. So the man would be, you know, out working the fields or tending to the flocks, and then he'd, he'd have, like, this huge household family structure and all these kids and i mean it, it would make it it actually made sense you know polygyny actually made sense in that structure you know and it actually works out quite well you know um for there to be for the, you know all, for the provision of the women too yeah exactly yes yeah. yeah provided them security and yeah to marry uh you know, one man who owned this this you know plantation, you know, who had this power, and yeah, it, so provided them with security and a and a future, and yeah. Right. And uh, who is it that uh, told us that they're that they believe that there's a conspiracy? Was it Dave who believes that there's a conspiracy to cover up the fact that? Uh, the man-to-woman ratio in the world population is skewed very heavily towards more females than male? Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's, you know, well, you can even see that in the Bible where it says, you know, uh, in that day, seven seven women will grab hold of one man. Uh-huh. Uh, so it seems to indicate that the, the ratio is actually a seven-to-one ratio. There's seven women born to one man. So, again, it's, this is another example where these distinctions and these laws are actually programmed into the creation itself. Like, you know, it's actually a part of the created order. Like, pol- polygamy is, a, is just, it's just totally natural. It's a part of the natural order, which, you know, it explains why all these ancient cultures were just naturally, you know, these indigenous cultures are just naturally polygamous, you know, because there was that imbalance, just naturally. And for a woman to survive in an agrarian culture, you know, it would, they would have to have polygamy. You know? Yeah, I mean, a woman couldn't do the, uh, the manual right. labor that a man could. I mean, sure, she there's always make, outliers to the average. Yeah, she wouldn't. Women she wouldn't even. Strong, yeah, she. Yeah. She wouldn't even right. make it, or you know, she couldn't. Yeah, she couldn't survive. She couldn't make a living. She couldn't do anything. Mm-hmm. So. And uh, two, it is natural now. Nowadays, there's a big deficiency. It's an epidemic, but uh, in a healthy world. A man's sex drive is uh, often no one woman is, uh, or many men is enough to satisfy their sex drive, and this is okay. This is what God gave them. God uh, equipped them. That's what a, a strong sex drive is. It's uh, 
it's the propensity to care for multiple wives. Yeah. And now, now that's demonized, and men who have naturally strong sex drives, um, you know, they're full of all kinds of uh, guilt and doubt, and it's just a mess. This ascetic, fake Christianity that's pushed now. Yeah. With sexual well, drives. yeah, and that gets into the whole. That gets in again. A big part of how modern Christianity just completely demoralizes men, just just for being men, is uh, their whole thing about masturbation being a sin, <laughs> and not just a sin, but like, I mean, some of these churches and these Christians I've seen today, they like hold it over men's heads. Like, I mean, they they will seriously guilt you if you're like if you're masturbating or if you have masturbated or, I mean, it's, it's like disgusting. I mean, nowhere in the Bible, I'm sorry, nowhere in the Bible does it say that mastery, you'd think, let's think about this. So you would think that the most readily available form of stimulation and, and God just overlooked that. He just forgot to address that. I mean, does that make sense to anyone? (laughs) Like, <laughs> uh, masturbation is not a sin. There's nowhere in the Bible that it condemns masturbation as a sin. I'm sorry, but it's just the fact of the matter, okay? And, you know, Christians will, the Christians will try to defend this from the Bible. They'll appeal to the, you know, the Onan, Onanism, you know? Uh, huh. Let me, let me, uh... <laughs> Yeah, go ahead and... Well, the whole thing about Onan... The whole thing about Onan... Onan, it it wasn't the masturbation that was the crime. For one, I mean, he he just pulled out of the woman and spilled his seed on the ground, okay? Instead of, you know, consummating, or instead of, you know, I guess coming inside of her. But the the crime was that God told... he, he, He failed to fulfill the Leverite law of marriage, you know, which was commanded, which he had to raise up seed for his brother, you know, who had, I think, died, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, his older brother's name was Er, E-R. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't specify his sin, but it says that he was evil, so God slew him. Right, right. Him. Yeah, and because he didn't... He didn't because he knew that if he had children with this woman, that it, they wouldn't be his children. You know, they would be basically his brothers. You know, he'd be carrying on his brother's name. Uh-huh. You know, and he didn't want to do that. And that's why he pulled out, and that's why God, you know, that was his crime. Exactly. It had nothing to do with masturbation. <laughs> yeah, now, hold on. I wanted to go into that, the uh, the tradition of the Leverett marriage custom. Sure, yeah. Just a second to pull up the passage. Now, uh, now again, don't don't mistake us or or confuse or misrepresent us either. We're we're not like con- well, we're not like condoning masturbation wholesale or but but I I'm not going to condemn anybody or hold it over their heads or guilt guilt somebody for masturbating. I'm just you know Right. Because I have no basis from the Bible to do that. So I'm not going to do that. Okay, there's nowhere I can point to in the Bible where it's a sin. Now, I would say that there's some reasons not to masturbate, at least often. 
But I'm going to say, I mean, I, I'm going to say that I would also say that there's good reasons not to go to the other extreme and say repress all your natural desires, you know, to an, in an unnatural way. Just bottle it up. Bottle it all up. Right, which, which you have in these, again, in these, you know, these anchoretic, uh, ascetic, monastic orders, you know, especially like Catholicism, where they have to take, a, you know, the vow of uh, chastity, you know, where they can't marry. Yeah. And that's why, you know, you have pedophilia. I think that's one of the reasons why, apart from, you know, obviously that whole institution being run by Satanists at the top. But that's another one of the reasons why uh, pedophilia is so widespread and rampant is because men, all these men are not supposed to be repressing their natural sexual desires like that. It's, it's going to result in an unhealthy expression or unhealthy thought patterns rising from that, you know? Uh-huh. Because they're not... They're not... Uh, releasing these desires in, into a healthy outlet or in a healthy way or in a natural way, you know? So it's it's going to create problems. It's going to create an unnatural... Uh, it's going to have an unhealthy manifestation some some other way down the line. So, um... I mean, and, and I would say, too, that I'm not... I'm not creating a false dichotomy, either. I'm not condemning... Uh, monasticism or that kind of thing wholesale either because I think there actually is virtue in that and the Bible does describe there is some virtue in that you know it describes like eunuchs and stuff but the thing about that too is it, it only says that only certain men are called to be eunuchs you know only certain men are given that that the capability to bear that kind of a burden and and are called for that kind of a calling you know that's not it's not that's not meant for all men in a general sense, you know. Right. So yeah, if you look at the context of that verse where Paul says, "I would rather you be like me and remain single." Yeah. Uh, I believe it's the same passage where it says, "Because of the present distress." Right. Uh, the Corinthians, yeah. I think it's the Corinthians. Um, yeah. It's better if you don't marry for now because, yeah, because those who do will have trouble. Open. Yeah, it was during the time of persecution. They were being persecuted, so it was a bad right. time to yeah, it was a bad time right. to marry. Where they would yeah. have to flee for their lives sometimes right. to avoid persecution. Right, which obviously, if you had a wife who's pregnant or if you had children, you know that would be that obviously make that more difficult. Right. So, but yeah, I think but there's other. Says, no, it's not a sin to marry even in that time. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, there's other reasons I would say. Uh, Again, not not to masturbate. Like uh, I think there is, I think there actually is a health health reasons not to. Kind of more esoteric, but I do believe that. Uh, and yeah, this actually is. You find this tradition in in cultures. They believe that uh, basically that the life force or the ether was also carried in the semen or in the man's seed. You know. Oh yeah, big time. You know what? Um, yeah, it's it's a. Uh, who's go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say your 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 semen is is a. It's a um, basically a condensed or a, I mean it is a extension of that ether as well, just like you know. 
what was it? It was a Taoism that says that uh, that uh, semen has the the vitality of a thousand drops of blood condensed into one. Yeah. The yeah. very refined, energy intense uh, substance for your body to create, and when you spill that, I mean, everyone who's ever, every guy who's ever had an orgasm knows that it, you're tired afterwards. It, it's uh, yeah, drains you, know, you. Just yeah, just drains you. Yeah, bunch of energy out of your body. I was gonna say, I mean, that's the basis for like tantric, you know, sex magic, and uh, you know, like kundalini. That's the basis for the kundalini too. Is it's basically uh, you. Uh, cultivating and raising that sacral or sexual energy either uh, up as opposed to out, you know. But, uh, again, again, I'm not, (laughs) again, (laughs) if you you feel like you have to relieve yourself, I mean, I would prefer you do that as opposed to, again, repressing it in an unnatural way, which is just going to lead to more problems down the road. And I'm not going to hold it over your head or condemn you. You know what I mean? It's it's just totally insane. So. Right. But I also... I also think it can it can turn into an idol, you know, if you're doing it constantly or, you know, obviously that's a problem, but... Or if you get addicted uh-huh. to porn with it, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If it turns into an idol, it's it's problematic. But again, here's another thing I was thinking about today. Uh, so, what are your thoughts on pornography, Ross? Uh, that's a good question. Because uh, I was going to say, I was thinking about this today. I mean, I was there say, is obviously, no, obviously no prohibition on. Okay, hold on, hold on. Let me let me let me finish my thought because I think you were already <laughs> you were already getting to what I was thinking about. You were alluding to it, but uh. Obviously, the institution of pornography, pornography is an institution I think would be we could condemn from the Bible because it involves human trafficking. I mean, the right. first the first porn star was an admitted sex slave. It's the biggest. It's the biggest human trafficking industry you know in the world. Is pornography is the pornography industry? That's basically what it is. And uh, you know there is a law in the Old Testament in the Mosaic Law that prohibits uh, the kidnapping and selling of people, you know, human trafficking. So that would obviously, we could condemn it from that, but in terms of pornographic imagery removed from that institution, I can't really find any condemnation of that in the Bible. And this kind of makes sense too because i mean if you're going to be if you're going to master if you're going to engage in masturbation what are you going to be thinking about it's going to be a mental pornographic image at the exactly so what's the difference from that you know from watching it on a screen it's the same thing there's no difference you know right so i mean obviously that's probably why it wasn't condemned because i mean if you condemn pornographic imagery then you, you would you'd think that masturbation would have to be condemned as well, you know. How could you have one without the other, you know what I mean? It seemed to follow that the other would then have to be condemned, you know. Ipso facto. Yeah. Is that kind of what, is that kind of your conclusion on that as well? Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Uh, a uh-huh. few points I wanted to mention. Uh, for anyone who's heard of the the NoFap 
movement, <laughs> FAP being a slang word for masturbation. Uh, many of, and that's a, that's a, it's an online community, which is, I believe it started on reddit.com, which is a massive multi-forum site. But anyway, uh, many of the young men who go there for support in resisting pornography and masturbation. Um, many I have read, um, and if I may be awkwardly frank, I have experienced myself, um, many complain of not only a momentary energy loss, but when the, uh, the habit becomes chronic, uh, health problems such as uh, premature balding, uh, white spots on the nails, uh, trouble focusing, lack of drive, energy, motivation, confidence among mm -hmm. women, among, you know, job prospects. It, it's, uh, I mean, it's a life force energy. And when sure. you are constantly depleting yourself of it, uh, it will have effects. Uh, another thing that I noticed uh, is chest pains even. Um I believe that uh, when, at least when a man orgasms, I believe that there's something secreted by the thymus gland, which is an endocrine gland in the chest. Now, that I haven't proven that, uh, but it's just my theory mm -hmm. based on reading these things and personal experience. Um, anyway, semen contains so many vitamins and minerals, uh, proteins, sugars. It's, it's a very concentrated source of the mineral zinc, which may explain the... Uh, the loss in drive and the white spots in the nails and the premature balding because zinc is related to testosterone, which mm -hmm. uh, is needed for all of those functions mm -hmm. and abilities. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, uh, it's not a sin provided you're not committing adultery in your heart by lusting after a married woman. Sure. Like we said before. Um, unknown, is, unknown, unknown, is, married, unknown married woman. Yeah. Right, right. I mean, if you didn't know, then yeah, you didn't know. Uh, but yeah, you know, if you occasionally have to, uh, it's a yeah. an easy release valve for single people. So if I you occasionally say, have to do that to keep from sinning, it's not a problem, you know. I was gonna say too that, uh, and I've, str I've, I've struggled, you know, I've struggled with this issue obviously a lot. Probably all men have, especially. Right. Christian men struggle with this. But I have known, and I will be perfectly honest with this, after being saved or, you know, coming to a relationship with God, you know, in Christ, I've noticed all the things, you know, that, it, you know how you get like, uh, you know, you get, you get, when you get the spirit, you know, after you get saved and you, you 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 get convicted of things that you you just you lose desires that you might have had before. You, you have absolutely no desire to do certain things, you know, because you get changed. Like for instance, I have absolutely no desire to drink at all. I, like I won't touch. I basically won't. I mean, I'll I'll obviously drink rec recreationally, but very very rarely. Like I don't. I totally have no desire to do that. I have no desire to do drugs. I have no desire to do any of those things, like if I, you know, if I disrespect my parents or something, I, I get that guilt, you know, that conviction, you know. I'm going to be honest, I, and I've, I've, 
thought about this and struggled with this a lot, but uh, I really don't have that if if I if I have masturbated or about masturbation. I really don't get that genuine conviction, like oh, I I did something wrong or I need to repent from this or uh, I don't get that same. You know, I I didn't lose the the desire to do that after being saved. Is that? Can you relate to that at all, or do you know? Uh, yeah, you know, I have. Uh, yeah. I have struggled myself sometimes. Sometimes I do feel guilty. Sometimes I don't. Uh, when <laughs> when that uh, need arises, and I do that. But uh, well, I was gonna, I was going to say when I when I really and I I have thought about it that. The times that I have felt guilty, I think it was false. It was a false guilt. Interesting. I don't think it was genuine because I, I don't know. It's like with these other things, I don't have, even have a desire at all. Like the the whole desire is totally gone. You know, I, I have a total renewed, different outlook on these things. Like I I get convicted pretty much immediately and feel guilty and feel like I need to repent, you know, and that's really not there with this. I'm sorry. It's just, I mean, it's just, I think it's a, it's a false guilt. I don't think it's genuine. So, I mean, that's just my personal. Anybody who's not convinced by us and hears that is going to say, well, they've just hardened their heart beyond repentance. But, uh, again, you're not supposed to add to or take away from the law, and if it's not in the law, I know, and I mean, I, I, to your and conscience. That just that can't be the case because I I pray every day, all throughout the day I'm praying. Okay, I read the Bible every day, or almost every day. I mean, I'm I'm doing all the things I need to be doing, you know. So how could it? It just doesn't. And it's like like I've even heard you know like Drake, Southern Israelite, talk about this, like he. I mean, you can't say he's not doing what he needs to be doing either, you know? Right. And he said the same thing. He has the same personal experience. Like he said, after I had a salvation experience or whatever, I it didn't remove this desire. I didn't have this repulsion to this or, or you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And he said, why is, that, why is it like that with so many? Because he, he actually did stop a lot of, addictions and a lot of things he had just cold turkey when he got saved like he stopped drinking he stopped partying he stopped uh i think smoking he stopped doing drugs like he stopped all that just cold turkey the day he got saved but he still had this desire you know this desire carried over you know did it just slip through the cracks or i mean no i just think it's it's just not as it's just not a sin that's just you know, it's just that it lines up with what the Bible says. I mean, it's just not a sin. Period. That's. I'm sorry. That's just. It's consistent, you know, with our experience. Right. Yeah. And what uh, would you say? I mean, what would you agree? Well, or? Yeah. I mean, yeah. if you do feel, you know, your conscience is between you and God, but uh, since yeah. there's no law against it, you need to. I don't know. Maybe wonder if. It is a false guilt from yeah. years and years of hearing that it's always a sin to do that. Yeah. Because, I, I mean, I've, I've prayed about this issue specifically. I've prayed, like, 
repeatedly, you know, like if, if this is a sin, then remove this desire, you know. Yeah. Remove yeah. it from me, you know. But it hasn't happened. <laughs> you know. Yeah. I mean Yeah, you gotta come to terms with I mean I've prayed about other things and other things that have worked, you know, and have happened. So I it clearly it can't this this can't just be on my end. You, 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 you just can't make that argument. It doesn't work, you know. It's not yeah, consistent. I mean, I mean, men need to, uh, and it should be a relief for them to hear that their sex drive is not inherently evil. God yeah. gave us a sex drive to give us the desire to fulfill the Genesis command to be fruitful and multiply and subdue as many on the earth. You know. Yep. That that uh, that command is uh, it's in your own body. Your body has that drive to obey that command from God. That's what. Yeah, and your body is body. not evil. It's not this gnostic. Exactly. Your material body is not evil. Okay. Your masculinity is not evil. It's actually, something to be proud of. It's not evil. Yeah. You know. Yeah. So. All right. So what's next? Uh, I'm going to mention uh, one of the Torah requirements about uh, that and, and segue back into uh, polygamy and the issue of sleeping with a menstruating woman. Um, so now in southern Israel, it has mentioned this, that uh, it's not a sin to you know, have sex with your wife or even to masturbate, as far as we can see. Um, but when a man ejaculates, um, he becomes unclean. According Unclean, to the Quran. right, right. Uh, yeah, it just means nope. it just means you had to wash yourself. I mean, you just, right. there's never a time when there's always there's pretty much always a time when you're going to be unclean in some way. You know, mm-hmm. unclean yeah. doesn't mean you sinned. You know what I mean? It just means you just had to do these ritual washings before certain. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, now. Yeah. Let's see. Now I know if I can be if I can be really graphic here. I know that women sometimes do um, ejaculate upon orgasm. Yeah. But uh, as far as far as uh, sexual or reproductive fluids, only the man's ejaculate makes him unclean. A woman is not made unclean by her own uh, version of that, but by her menstrual blood. Um, and yeah. the Torah. Now, now again, this is one of the things that I think it's almost impossible to follow nowadays. Some people don't live in a geographic or housing situation where this would be possible. And, uh, well, anyway, the Torah requirement for such a man was that after he had ejaculated, either alone or with his wife, he was unclean until evening, and he was to stay outside of the town walls until evening when he was to return into the town, bathe, wash his clothes, and then he was clean. But uh, again, we don't have the uh, customs or the systems, the infrastructure uh, set up to do that. So at the very least, you know, make sure you shower. Right. Preferably not waiting till evening. I don't, you know, it's weird to me because I would think that you would want to do it right away so that you don't have any residual (laughs) aroma. On your yeah. body, probably. but uh, you know, I guess if they were going outside the walls of the town to work in the fields, they would mostly be among other men, and uh, the wind and the sweat would cause that odor to dissipate. Anyway, sure. TMI. 
Um, well, I was, I was going to say, too, this is something I've heard, and I, I believe it. Uh, apparently, females, when they ejaculate, they don't lose. They don't really lose the life force like men do. So pretty much women can basically ejaculate whenever they want, and they don't <laughs> they don't have yeah. these negative <laughs> detrimental health effects like men. Yeah, they don't more lose of a, the, they don't lose the life force the same way. Well, I mean it makes sense too because the Bible pretty much says that the seed is the man has the seed. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. seed is in the man. So there's something about the, you know, the semen of the man that's, uh, you know, basically contains, you know, the vital, the vital force, you know, mm-hmm. or at least yeah. substantial amounts of it where it's significant. So, um, um, another detail from the Torah concerning this issue, um, if the man's seed were to happen to fall upon any article made of skin or cloth or hair, then that article was unclean until evening and it needs to be washed in water. And uh, anything, any seat or bed or saddle that the man sat on, and also, also the same for a menstruating woman, that that uh, article of furniture would be unclean until evening. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just just extra details. Uh, again, these are hard, if not impossible, to keep, uh, either because we lack the infrastructure and the support, or because people don't have time; they have to work jobs. You know, yeah. we, we're not able to follow the Torah, and we won't be able to follow all of it until Israel is restored and uh, God makes us able to uh, follow all of it. But anyway, I was going to say too that there's there's actually. Well, there's here's more validation for the law that's come about in early modern times. Yeah. Um, again, we find reality is consistent and conforms with, uh, you know, God's revealed laws. Uh, apparently, it's been scientifically proven that if you even touch a, a menstruating woman, or like, or even in like proximity to her, uh, it actually feminizes you. Hmm. You're a man. Interesting. I don't, I don't know if it's like it's like the hormones are just so potent, you know? That's very interesting. You, know um, you just yeah. reminded me of another anecdote. Um, I actually feminize you on contact. <laughs> uh, it's actually two two points related to that. One, um, I believe it's the Rosicrucian Notebook. Or no, no, it's the book Invisibility, or maybe it's The Art of Invisibility by Steve Rubens. Yep. He says that a menstruating woman... Um, has the ability to fog up a mirror if she stares at it for long enough. Weird. Yeah. So it's something related to the fact that the eyes project energy as well as take light in. Um, sure. And the other point was that uh, I have heard from a male relative of mine that uh, the few times where he did um, <laughs> lie with his wife during her period, um, it was especially draining on his energy. Mm. So, uh, yeah. There you go. Yep. And the woman's cycle corresponds to the phases of the moon. You know, that's yep. why it's called the time of the month. Uh, yep. This, this uh, dynamic parallels the fact that uh, 
the energy of the different phases, you know, fi- uh, full moon versus a new moon is different. Yeah. You know, the full moon, they say that planting seeds one to two days before the full moon will make it very fertile and healthy, but uh, the new moon, it can kill the plant. It's uh, it's a draining influence on the plant's health. Yeah, I think uh, when women are in... Or you know, it's their time. Uh, they're they're giving off very very strong lunar lunar energy, extremely strong yin energy. Um, that explains why uh, if you if you investigate like the occult or Satanism or witchcraft or anything like that, uh, menstrual blood is actually uh, very important and significant in in ri- for ritual use, drinking it or whatever. Uh, they actually call it a uh, starfire. That's what they call it. So definitely has some potent energies. It's really vile. Yeah. <laughs> uh, give me just a minute. No problem. I was going to say too earlier, I forgot to mention this, but just one little little comment again. Um, you know, a lot of people will say, you know, they'll they'll say to either get out of following God's laws or taking His laws seriously. They'll be like, oh well, you know, that's an appeal to an authority, or they'll try to try to reject this um, this reasoning for why you should submit. You know, there'll be a, it's an appeal to authority. Well, everybody has to appeal to an authority for any reasoning at all. To justify your reasoning, you have to appeal to an authority, and it's either it's either going to reduce to the authority being yourself, you, or a higher, or you'd have to appeal to a higher authority above you to justify your reason. Okay, and with most people, it comes down to them. It reduces them. They're their own authorities. And that's... Basically, that's how they justify their reason, is, you know... They come down to this circular argument. They... they, If you ask them, you know, like, how do you know that your reasoning is proper, or how do you know that you're reasoning correctly, they'll be like, oh, well, based on my reasoning, I know that I'm reasoning correctly. (laughs) So, you know, it's just one big circular argument. And they're their own arbiter of truth, and they're their own authority. So they're appealing to themselves. They're assuming themselves as the authority. Whereas we are appealing to God as the authority, which actually makes it a... Well, it's still a circular argument, but it's it's justified circularity as opposed to unjustified. So it's, you know, it's actually justified. still there? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yeah, by the way, Ross, we're, we're getting to the two hour and 40 minute mark here too, so... In 20 minutes, I'm gonna have to shut it down, whether we're done or not. So we might just have to do a part two, just to finish. Okay. Are you? 
would you be able to do that tonight? Because I still have a few more sections here. Or you need well, to go after that? You mean after the three hours? Yeah. No, I at the three three hour mark. I gotta I gotta shut it down. I know I know this episode you do right, but uh, can you do another yeah. one right after? You mean tonight? Yeah, tonight. No, 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 no. Okay. No, that's that's my point. No. <laughs> okay. Well. Uh, no, I mean I mean we can do a part two like you know tomorrow or. No, I mean just to finish. Okay. Um, hey, you have that other room still, don't you, on TalkShift? Yeah. I mean, is it? Do you yourself have the time tonight, if it were possible, to make that recording tonight to finish it? No. Okay. So it's your schedule also that I need to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, we'll do what we can then. Um. So basically, uh, you have to have faith in some authority, but it makes the most sense to have faith in God because he's omniscient and omnipresent. Yeah, thus he's a self-justifying authority. Right. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So faith is the most reasonable view, faith in God. Yep. Very interesting. Yeah. Oh, that'll piss off a few neckbeard atheists. <laughs> All right. So, uh, so yeah, basically, um, now when I have brought up that issue of the uh, the prohibition of sleeping with a menstruating wife, seems to be a moral law because of the context. It's always in other sins. Let me let me give you a few more verses to show that it's not just in uh, Leviticus chapter eighteen. Um, in uh, Isaiah. 30 verse 22 it's uh, idolatry is compared to uh, menstrual rags you know God God regards it with the same disgust that a person should regard menstrual rags um, Ezekiel 22:10, uh, lying with a menstruating woman is condemned as a sin that the Israelites had sunk to right alongside a list which includes slander murder Incest, adultery, bribery, greed, and several others. Uh-huh. And then, and then Ezekiel thirty six seventeen, um, God again compares adultery to that sin. So, uh, you know, the first thing that many people say when I pointed this out to them that this prohibition seems to be one of the moral laws, they'll say, "Well, that was just because they were uh, they were outdated back then and they had primitive hygiene and didn't know a lot." But now that we have modern medicine, well, we can disregard that. Um, you know, not only have I just shown you three more verses to to indicate that it's a sin, not just a hygiene thing that God had to strongly reinforce for their own good back then, but uh, yeah. doesn't that not strike you as something the atheists would say? To say yeah. that, uh, well, that's just stupid rules for a Stone Age desert-dwelling sheep herder religion. Yep. You know? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it just reduces to the same kind of begging the question, arguing in a circle, circular, fallacious argument, you know. They're they're assuming that, they're already assuming their position, and then they're, they're, they're reasoning to a conclusion off of that. They're assuming that, you know, that the ancient Israelites were primitive, and that uh, there's there's been a progression since then, instead of a, the opposite. And, right. I mean, none of that is 
founded on or based from the Bible at all. It's just their own their own assumptions. Yeah, and if you look at that, uh, that, are, that are that reduced to the arbitrary. So, yeah, if you yeah. look at the beginning of Deuteronomy four that I read a little while ago, which describes how he was uh, promising the Israelites that the other nations would start to notice these laws if they followed them and call Israel wise and and come to yeah. serve Yahweh if they did that. That completely flies in the face of this explanation that some of this is just obsolete, primitive stuff. You know, those were supposed to be advanced uh, customs and laws to follow that would cause other nations to marvel as a type of evangelism to bring them. Well, to and, and we and we we have discovered since that they are. I mean, at least I have from my from my research and after you know, um, you know, yeah. assuming that God is this authority and then. Um, deducing from his revealed axioms, you know, and seeing that reality is consistent and conforms with with his laws, you know, that they this is the best for my for my deductions from that. This is the best and most superior law system I've you know I think that's ever been devised. I mean, right. it had to have been it had to have been revealed. It had to have been given by revelation. There's no way that man. Could have thought of, thought of these laws. No way. Yeah, it's so perfect. You know, I mean, exactly. <laughs> we'll get more into that. You know, with later, uh, uh, later parts to this series. You know, when we talk about the uh, political system and socioeconomics and et cetera, <laughs> will become more apparent. If it's not already. Hey, Chris, tell me exactly how much longer you have. Uh, it's at 2.46 now, so about 15 minutes. Mm, you know, we better cut it off here because I'm going to go more into polygyny. Um, and it, it'll take a longer than that. Okay. Up to you. Yeah, and uh, and we'll get to the calendar also next time and some other yeah. sections. Yeah, yeah. I got. I mean, I got quite a bit. I want to. Well, that tangent that I want to go on, I'll I'll have to probably read quite a bit just to establish that with any sort of credibility. I got a few few links for that. So, and that'll that's that'll be related to the, our sexual sexuality stuff. So, uh, yeah. So we'll, we'll do that. We'll continue this, I guess, for the next time. All right. Um, so, I mean, whenever, whenever is up to you. Uh, yeah, I could do it tomorrow. Okay. Sounds good. Yeah, same time. Yeah. Okay. All right, guys. Well, uh, thanks, Ross, for doing that. That was really good. Thank you, Chris, uh-huh. for giving me the platform for it. Yep. All right, I'll talk to you tomorrow. All right. All right. Bye. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. 
Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.